I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum! Astral Radio Z is a horror cult exploitation film podcast by filmmakers, critics, musicians, journalists, and fans for the film obsessed. Here is your host, Derek Terry. Here we are. It's 2016, and we're going through another set of shitty films for you guys on Astro Radio Z. What franchise did you guys decide to bring on and make us watch? Because I did put the vote out there to all of our fans, all 15 of you. Well, I don't know. That's a little high. Maybe it's like eight. I think all eight of you decided to choose The Howling and let me tell you, over the last two years that we've been doing these franchise episodes, I finally am really fucking excited about talking about a, a grouping of movies. This is not to insult Mr. Scott Davis, <laughs> who has gladly come on the show and decided to, be, to keep going with Astro Radio Z after a really brutal 2015 and the Vice Academy episodes. But the howling in my heart, is a very special and dear thing because I love werewolf movie. I'm so fucking excited to sit here and talk to you guys about what many consider to be the worst werewolf movies on the face of the planet. And I say fuck you people because I don't agree with this at all because I love the Howling movies. But Scott, I'm going to say hi to you first because I called you out. Are you excited for the Howling movies after the brutal, absolutely dick-kicking-in-the-dirt Vice Academy series last year? How are uh, you doing? Well, we will see. you'll see my opinion of the Howling movies. They're complex. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's something I bet none of my listeners has ever heard when anyone's referenced the howling movies is they're complex well it's just me trying to get my way out of this you know so <laughs> you really we've really given you a complex about uh, the vice academy series haven't we you, you know i i still enjoy them i still enjoy them and fuck them fuck you they're <laughs> good movies. <laughs> they got, they're good. They had they had uh, humor that was almost offensive in the fifties, and you know, totally inept, and an occasional boob without a sh without a shred of sexiness. <laughs> well, <Fuck yes>. we, <laughs> well, now we exchange that for a bunch of horny werewolves. So uh, I mean, oh my gosh, different that, you know? Yeah, fur everywhere. Okay, fur yeah. everywhere, and a lot it of growling. Like, like, yeah, it's like watching. It's like watching one of those uh, early '70s stag loops. It's just lots, uh, lots of hair. Yeah, lots it's bush hair. for days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, speaking of bush for days. We have Mr. Glenn Bittner, who came on the show, deciding to sit and uh, drink with us and continue after 13 witchcraft films, which aren't done, which aren't done. We keep, we keep saying this. We keep reminding the public and ourselves mostly. <laughs> there are more witchcraft films to watch because we hate ourselves. But Mr. Glenn Bittner has come on for a third year in a row to sit and go through a bunch of franchise films that most people considered the worst films they've ever seen. So, Mr. Glenn, I appreciate you coming on. How are you doing tonight? I I am a rainbow, 
and later I will be a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. You're just going to die. <laughs> Damn it, you're right. <laughs> and next to that man is Astro Radio Z Staple. You know him as the amazing director involved with Gonzarific Films in Athens, Georgia, Mr. Andrew Shearer. How are you doing tonight, sir? I'm good, Black. Yep, and you know what that means. You know what that's translated to? Bush for days. That's what that's what that howling I, I'm not afraid of it, dude. Not afraid of it at all. <laughs> well, hey, we're all fans of seventies cinema. If you did not like Bush for Days, well, you're gonna have a tough time watching some of that stuff. Hey, you are what you eat, you know what I'm saying? And back for some more after last week's Ash vs. Evil Dead episode, Mr. Seth Pollan of Celluloid Terror is here with us tonight. Sir, how you doing? Back for more punishment. Back for more punishment. We finally brought you on to talk about some sleazy werewolf movies. Are you excited to be part of this now? I am more than excited to be part of the Howling series talks. Yeah, what is it about the howling that really gets you excited? Uh, werewolves and sex and gore. I mean, hello, three for three. Yep, it's stuff right up your alley, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Speaking of werewolves, sex, and gore, Miss Angelique, she has come back to sit and talk to us about some sleazy flicks. How are you doing tonight, Miss? I am wonderful. <laughs> I'm so excited about this. Well, we do have you at least locked in for two more episodes after tonight. Right? I'm, I am going to warn you, this may be the funnest episode of the three. I don't know. Eight. Eight is pretty bad. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> this may be the most fun episode. Oh, okay, of the three. so you're talking painful. I like pain, though. Oh. I mean, we, do we, Do we want to get into uh, the subtext behind that comment? Let's wait till the next porn parody episode. Uh, <laughs> get away from this porn parody talk. I, I was told by other members of Astral Radio Z that I shouldn't be surprised by the fact that the porn parody episode will be my most popular episode downloaded. And, of course, in varying uh, formats, it is, in fact, the most downloaded episode across the board, across the world. So big shocker there. Um, so yes, we will be revisiting the porn parody episode at some point this year. I don't know sure. if we were going to do it for Labor Day or we were going to do it for Independence oh, Day. Funny. We got to do we got to do it for some holiday, maybe Easter. You know, because, that'd be wonderful rebirth. Yeah, yes, and and it's, <laughs> it's a holy day. That's for sure. Yeah, that's a whole. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I love, I love sex and I love werewolves, so I'm I'm really really excited about these. And last but not least, the man, the myth, the legend, the frou frou drink king of Wisconsin, Mr. Mark the Movie Man, is here as always to talk about some sleazy exploitation flicks. How you doing, my friend? Cattle mutilations are up. <laughs> <laughs> That's Wisconsin for I'm fine. <laughs> oh my God! So Mark, I know you and I have been chatting back and forth while <laughs> you know about these howling flicks as you've been watching them. What is your level of excitement tonight about I'm, talking about these sleazy, horny werewolves? I'm glad to be part of the Amiga team. That's all I have to say. Oh, my God. So, folks, 
Let's go ahead and get right on into it, and we're going to talk about 1981's The Howling. What do you see? The Howling. Somewhere in the city. In this human jungle. It begins. Just try. He's right there. What do you see? What's there, Karen? What do you see, Karen? What's there? Somewhere in these woods. In this primal, sensuous, secret place. Lies an experience too terrifying for words. And now, all anyone can do is watch and wait. Tonight, I'm going to show you something. Make you believe. The Howling was made in 1981 by one of my favorite directors of all time, the man who directed Gremlins, which is one of my favorite movies, Mr. Joe Dante. It was based originally on a series of pulp novels by Gary Brandner called The Howling. And uh, the books themselves, I actually read the books uh, back in the day, probably a good 15 years ago. Um, when I worked at a bookstore, and uh, I gobbled the things up. If it hasn't been known already, I love werewolf shit. I will, There's something about it that it just hits a weak spot in me, and I just gobble the stuff up. And the books, they I don't think they're any more than like maybe 150 to 200 pages long. Total pulp, straightforward, straight-laced kind of campy exploitation books. Unlike the movie, which, you know, if you're familiar with Joe Dante, you know that it's going to be uh, have its tongue in its cheek and it's going to have a lot of black humor, a lot of self-referential humor. It'll be horrific when it needs to be horrific, and it'll be comedic when it needs to be uh, comedic, but it's always very stylish and well done. So here's the synopsis of the movie, and then I'll kind of tell you, fill in the blanks with what the similarity is with the books. Um, the synopsis for the movie is, at, and this is from imdb.com, and let me tell you folks, we got a lot better synopsis this year than the ones that um, Anonymous wrote last year for the Vice Academy. <laughs> Those were hilarious. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, these actually sound like they are the movies we're talking about tonight, as opposed to somebody who is sitting with one hand down their pants and the other hand on the keyboard. You know, while... I'm sorry. Okay, I was busy. <laughs> <laughs> so... The, the synopsis for The Howling is, after a bizarre and near-fatal encounter with a serial killer, a television newswoman is sent to a remote mountain resort whose residents may not be what they seem. The plot of, of the book is a woman who has nothing to do with uh, tel uh, television whatsoever. She gets raped, and then her husband and her move to a small town to get away, and the town is full of werewolves. So, I mean, there's a lot of similarities between the two pieces of media, but uh, Joe Dante's Howling is quirkier. It's it's a little more stylish. It's a li it, it references a lot of old uh, werewolf media. The film starts out 
we have D. Wallace Stone playing this television uh, newswoman who's been getting these letters and phone calls from this serial killer. So the cops get her and uh, decide to do a, like a setup, like a stakeout, like she's going to go in and then they're going to capture this guy. Okay, guys, this is the jackpot. I'm on uh, Western between Ivory and I don't like that interference. It's the best rig we got. Oh, no, no, it's all that, it's all that neon out there. It messes up the signal. I'll get our people to cruise west of And uh, this opening scene, and I'd love to talk about this opening scene with everybody. It's one of my favorite scenes in the film. It, it kind of sets up the, the overall style, humor, pace, and uh, it just kind of shows... What for a, a sleazy exploitation film, and that's kind of what this is. It's werewolves with a little bit of sleaze factor. When when you give this type of material to somebody who is a, uh, an actual like skilled filmmaker, how great it can be! Because this is a very complex opening scene where you have multiple characters going through one scenario, different perspectives, and you can understand all of the information that's getting thrown at you. So D. Wallace Stone is going to. Uh, meet this serial killer. She's bugged by the police, and there's uh, her husband, and, uh, who works at the television station. They're all there monitoring her. Jesus. Karen, see this? Yeah. Oh, she never even mentioned seeing the victims. She didn't want you to worry. I'm worried. Andrew, how did you feel about this opening scene and how it was handled and how it built the the overall tone for this flick? I thought it was cool, man. It was nice and mysterious, you know. And they had, they were smart enough to know that D. Wallace is a good actor, so you <laughs> know, actually give her some intriguing stuff to do. But you know, it didn't lay everything out on the table, and and you know, like uh, today they would throw the werewolves in like immediately, you know, mm-hmm. like it would kill somebody like immediately, and uh, you could tell that it's not. It's more of like a 70s, you know, more indicative of movies like that, the way that they did that. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, totally. They they try setting it up like it's a mystery. Sure, the movie's called The Howling, but it doesn't necessarily scream if you weren't aware of what it was, werewolves. And the artwork doesn't necessarily scream werewolves either. Um, but the way they set this up, uh, I love it. It's very tense. And Dee Wallace really feels natural in this film. Like the, her acting style is very naturalistic and it makes her character very relatable and believable to the audience. Glenn, what do you think of Dee Wallace in this flick? Um, I think Dee Wallace is great. As far as the Howling series goes, this is the pinnacle of acting for the whole thing. No but doubt. But yeah, I, I, I think she's, she's great in this. I mean, I, I love everyone in this, man. I mean, Patrick McNee and his little bit and everyone. So it's hard to deny that the the level the budget level was definitely higher on this film yes. than just about any of the other films. D. Wallace ends up um, they they end up losing the communication with her as she's walking to this porno store where she's going to meet um, Eddie Quist, who is the serial killer in a peep show booth. Come on, Eddie, I know that's you. <sighs> yeah, yeah, I'm alone. Are you wearing what I ask you to? Good. Uh, Seth, what did you think of the Peep Show booth? I love the Peep Show booth. Uh, it really, I think for the audience, puts you in, in uh, D. Wallace Stone's shoes. Uh, it's completely out of her element. 
and uh, you're just tense on the edge of your seat waiting for her to have a bad encounter because we know her communications out, but she's expecting the, the cavalry to roll in and end her nightmare. She didn't feel a thing, Karen. None of them do. They're not real, the people here. They're, they're dead. They could, they could never be like me. But you're different, Karen. I watch you on TV, and I know how good I can make you feel. I'm going to light up your whole body, Karen. But uh, I think it was really, really good choice to put her in uh, like a sleazy situation like that. I was really shocked that they had por- actual porno scenes playing yeah. in the film. They, they kept that in there. And then you have uh, the guy who plays Eddie Quist. He, he, his voice changes as as you can tell he's starting to transform into something else behind her mark well actually I'm just oh. gonna say real quick because I I plugged in the blu-ray to watch this one it's the only one I actually had like on a really good physical media copy of the the series and um, apparently Joe Dante says they couldn't show a regular porn so they actually shot that themselves. Oh wow, that's really yeah. that's really interesting. They, they said they had to go. He said he we, he had to go. They had to go in with this actress into like some shed or something and just shoot this. Real, they shot it, you know, over like a weekend, real quick, you know, to make sure that it looked really explicit and unpleasant and violent, but not, you know. So, but they had to make sure that it wasn't actually like pornographic because so they wouldn't get an x rating and he says wow. yeah it has it just was not he, he says you know you'd think it would be a pleasant it would be a fun experience it wasn't he was he's he, you could tell he's just not into that at all and he was well, like, i mean i could have sworn that it was a shot from what was it called the last snuff film oh i mean i was confused i thought that was really footage from the last snuff film well, it feels that way. I mean, it, it really has that grimy feel. So is that Joe Dante's penis? Or? No. <laughs> Don no. Now, 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 the, now, of course, the, all the stuff that was in the store, like the, all, the, all the video cassette covers and everything like that. That was were, his penis on every the, cover. Those, <laughs> I didn't listen to the comment. Those, 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 were, no, those were real boxes and real magazines and stuff, though. And so, boxes. which is... Which apparently is why, like, and that they comment on that too in the in like the little extra that uh, when Dee Wallace is going in there and she's looking visibly uncomfortable, that's she was visibly uncomfortable being around. Oh, that. bless well, her. Can you can you imagine uh, how much work this was before Photoshop? Can you imagine how much work it had to be to get all those pictures of Joe Dante's penis on every single <laughs> one of those boxes? No wonder he hated it so much. Yeah, it was very comfortable for him. Yes, the original version of Gremlin. <laughs> Ball, Ball they called no. him Spike. So, Mark, uh, what did you what did you ultimately think once this soul scene resolved itself and finally reached its climax? How did you think this started the film? Did, did this work for you? Yeah, actually, I liked this one. I, on the whole, this is uh, I think is going to be my favorite because it. I liked the way it opened because it felt like a '70s crime drama like we've just caught up to a 70s crime uh storyline more so than a anything to do with werewolves or anything actual horror related because he had the you know that feel of like Nighthawks and even the uh, Dirty Harry films it had that kind of gritty feel to it opening it up and and I really liked it I thought D Wallace is great and and if I don't if you don't mind me dropping yes that is the doctor from Voyager 
as the the Quist character. I believe it was yes. his first acting job yep. in Hollywood, Robert Picardo. And uh, yeah, I really I really liked how it opened. Actually, uh, it, I thought it it pulled you in. It had you question what's going on, and you're not quite sure what type of film you, you've been pulled into. You know, because you're not sure if if what she's seen uh, of him, the parts that she can see, are her imagination, maybe, or if it you know made up in her head, or if it's real, or or, or what exactly is going on. So yeah, I liked it. I mean, it pulls you in, it, it keeps you there, it makes you want to find out more of what the hell is exactly going on. And Dee Wallace is just great in it. Though I did get a kick out of the fact that the minute a woman enters the porno shop, all the men leave. Well, it does bring me to my favorite line of the entire movie, where the sleazy uh, guy, the, the vendor that runs the shop, goes back to the cops and goes, I knew I shouldn't have let that broad back here. I wrote that line down. That is my very favorite thing ever, because he's like, what the, where's the crab, man? What's the chicken? Everything's all the hell. Yeah. Yeah, there's a broad that came in here. She emptied the place out. She's watching movies. <laughs> you can see the way they set him up, and that's why I, I, I'm focusing on this scene so much, is because Joe Dante really builds this entire atmosphere so meticulously that every character is believable in this world. And the moment she walks into that uh, that porno shop, the dude, he's he's like picking his teeth or doing whatever. He just looks up and and you can he's tell terrified. he's he's instantly annoyed that yeah. she's in there. It's not even that he is terrified. Oh shit! There is a real woman with a real vagina here. Oh god, <laughs> what do I do? So what ends up happening is that uh, Eddie Quist tries to kill Dee Wallace. Uh, uh, some young cop comes back and then shoots up the entire uh, booth. How he didn't hit D. Wallace, who knows? But they they think they kill Eddie Quist, who is half werewolf at that point. But it's not explicit. <laughs> and uh, then her therapist decides to send her off to what's called the colony. I'm going to recommend that you go out to the colony for a week or two. Your place up north there? That's right. Uh, I only recommend it to very special patients, ones who I think will benefit from its environment. It's a place where you can recharge your batteries. It'll enable you to try and get back to what you really are. What goes on up there? Well, seminars, some group therapy. It's very low-key. It'll be a good place to try and tackle this amnesia thing. It's supposed to be some therapeutic thing, so she could get away and clear her head and hopefully get rid of, like Mark said, where she can't tell if what's real, what's not real, because um, she's starting to break down mentally and have these visions of this porno booth and of this uh, this attack um, keep coming back to her at every every time she opens her eyes or closes her eyes or when her husband and her try to get intimate. So from this point on, the film turns into a werewolf flick. Scotty? Mm -hmm. let, let's talk about let's talk about this colony and where the film goes from here. And I just want to open it up from here on out because the movie basically turns into the werewolf film after this point. We know yeah. what goes down. So uh, let, let, let's talk some howling. How did you how did you feel about the movie in general? And, and uh, what were some of the things you really you really got into? Well, you know, this is around the time. Uh, 
we actually were lucky enough to around like the 80 1981 period 1982 period of getting like a few modern werewolf movies right away um we got howling american werewolf in london and wolfen and stuff like that and a lot of times people kind of focus on american werewolf in london as the real classic of the period and no no argument is a incredibly great movie my favorite by far of the of these movies is the howling it's one of my favorite werewolf movies ever i have this argument with people all the time about uh, between howling and american werewolf in london while i can't deny american werewolf in london is an amazing movie i prefer the howling coming from a, a woman's perspective and it's really cool to be you know the only chick here in a room full of guys for a second i mean her level of trauma in the peep booth was insane that backlit mullet was attacking her (laughs) (laughs) but i mean her reaction to intimacy and everything and and then being sent to this colony where everybody's you know free love and have a drink of this drink this mysterious and i'm not going to tell you what's in it i mean that's going to make anybody uncomfortable but i mean honestly the the difference between this movie and american werewolf in london yes american werewolf in london follows the more traditional Oh, you've been bitten by a werewolf, and right. therefore you're a werewolf, and this and that. Really great, really wonderful. And I, I kind of share with Derek's affinity to werewolf movies. I don't necessarily think that they're scary, but they're sad to me because the werewolf is something that you can't control. It's and something that we all share. That there's always yes. there's some part of us that there's something that each of us has that we just. It could be our affinity to movies. It could be affinity to booze. Could be affinity to sex. Could be affinity to whatever. We all have something within it's us. In us. That, Yep, that's uncontrollable, and it just pops out at any point. Yeah, I mean, uh, watching The Wolfman, I mean, I don't get scared. I weep because Lon Chaney Jr., it's so sad to me because all he wanted to do was be a good fella and to take this girl out and to be her girlfriend. And here Dee Wallace is, and in this movie, there's a lot of parallels to Don't Answer the Phone Mm. to me, you know, that, that... crazy grindhouse flick where the the stalker was calling the the newscaster and so it throws that kind of noir detective thing in there um but it's crazy the way everything kind of devolves into horny werewolves the american werewolf in london is more uh of a with all of its quirkiness it's more of a traditional werewolf story and this kind of goes into a new direction. This also has a sense of humor, just like American World in London does, but the humor is a lot more subtle. It's like little sight gags, like having a copy of Howl on a newsstand table or something like that. One of the things it does is it takes you from this urban sleaze pit, and I'm a big fan of like the, that of urban sleaze pits of the mid-70s, early 80s. I, lo- I love that whole era, that whole allure, because I kind of grew up near that. And that takes them, and it takes you into the nice country. And, of course, the country is the worst place for her because it's this isolated retreat. And it kind of, go, it's, it, it kind of riffs on the uh, psychology and self-help uh, camps and stuff from the up with people, like be a exactly. better you person thing and of the thing. And what it was doing was, was basically what that was was uh, it was – all like the uh, hippie mentality, uh, some of which was very good, and you know, psych- some of psychology is actually quite good. Uh, and it was taking that and basically uh, 
packaging it and com- and commercializing it into like a book and a, and a retreat and everything and suddenly everybody's following this program and this regiment of repression and they're yeah. repressing themselves and I love the fact that they have this party and everybody's trying to act like they're free and everything but they're hiding themselves uh, my one of my favorite bits is john carradine who um unfortunately he took basically he was a very work working man actor and so he took basically any part that was given to him pretty much for a long year, time over the years and this is one of the rare instances especially later in his career where you can say oh no this is actually a really good role and um he just sits there and he's looking at himself he's looking at the fire he's looking at the youth and go on like this damn teeth are shot hell of a note and you think when he he says that and later on has very soon has a suicide attempt you think oh he's talking about you know that he's tired of living. No, he's tired of living neutered. He's tired of repressing and he's tired of this and it's a real switcheroo on on you and it's what's one of the great things that the howling continues to do throughout its running time is just being this thing where you think it's one thing and it turns out to be something completely different and it's so clever and it adds a really new spin on the werewolf uh, mythos i love this movie now now andrew did you enjoy the fact that this kind of uh decided it was going to live in a little more sleazier place than uh, most of the normal uh werewolf flicks yeah, I mean, you know, some good titty in it. I I thought uh, the 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 nude scene's cool. How it turns into a cartoon, like that's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks so backshy. It looked so backshy. Yeah, it really does look like rotoscoped. Like they're like, you know, uh, you know, fuck the werewolf and we'll draw a cartoon over it. <laughs> you know, let's see what it's like to fuck a Woody Woodpecker. It's pretty good. <laughs> Uh, and you know, I I prefer that to the Rob Bottin special effects because like his werewolf makeups are good. That is, uh, the 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 bubbly face thing is pretty fucking. It's stupid. I'm sorry, I don't exactly. like it. Exactly. Yes, I think they gave you. him the job of special effects guy because Bottin looked like a werewolf. So they're like, hey, this guy <laughs> do great with the effects. He looks like a fucking werewolf. Look at the guy. And then you know, they give the other guy the job of the the. The role of the husband is he looks like a werewolf too. We won't have to do much to him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I forgot. Oh, I meant to say I got some trivia. I oh, got go some for trivia. it. So Gonzorific's first movie ever was a werewolf movie. Did you know that? Because I love werewolves. That's my favorite monster. Our first movie was a werewolf movie. That's awesome. I, I love them too. And and here's another uh, bit of trivia as well is that, as you said, Mr. Rob Bottin was the guy who made all the special effects. He got the nod because Rick Baker, midway through pre-production, got called away to do American Werewolf in London. So he he recommended that Rob Bottin come in and take over. Wow. The yeah, and he's effects. like, you know what, man? I think all werewolves have chewing gum under their skin. <laughs> it's just, remember, like, I know we'll probably talk about Philip Moore and Beast Within on the next one, but, like, you know how in the Beast Within, it's stupid as shit when that guy turns into a fucking birthday balloon. Yeah, big yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, well, and that and the Gremlins when um 
the water hits them, the but, bubbles that pop up with the little okay, gremlins inside like them. Melting, that looks good. Like like Toxic Avenger makes sense because he's melting, and, and Robocop makes sense because he's melting. Where are they melting, man? He's not, like, you know, boiling water and shit. I don't know why. Like, I'm watching it, and I hadn't seen Howling in a long time. Actually, I've, I've met and interviewed D, D. Wallace in the time that I, uh, since I'd seen it, but, like, and everybody knows her as E.T.'s mom, P.S. It's like either that or Cujo. Nobody comes up for howling. I was the only one. They stay too long on the on the shitty, like, you know what I'm saying? Like Everybody's like, look at how good this looks. And you're going like, cut away, dude. It, it really doesn't. It really doesn't look really, good. There's so many really good, good effects. It, it looked good in 81, but it doesn't look good as good now I and, plus, and plus it got upstaged and plus it got upstaged almost right away by American Werewolf well, yeah because they pulled the main better. guy the guy you want to do a transformation scene yeah there's some great oh I, I gotta before we go to the next person I gotta say I love the the near dark looking burnt guy when he's all like you know what I'm saying like all, all burnt face that's a good makeup the one guy mm-hmm. with the vest where he turns into a wolf, that makeup that kind of looks a little bit like Thriller, like that's a really good. You know, there's a lot of them that look great, and even when D. Wallace turns into a Shih Tzu, looks really good. But like, <laughs> I, just, I just don't like that bubbly shit. I think she was a Pekingese, okay? Oh, so. <laughs> well, you, know you, mean, you mean poop wolf? Originally, right. like 20 minutes ago, you asked me if I liked all the sex. Yeah, I like that the howling's mostly about fucking. That made me happy. Well, yes. you know, also, also, also well, let's let's just say though that the as if if we have problems with the makeup, it's still the probably the best makeup of the series. Easily. <laughs> oh no doubt, Seth. What did you uh, walk away with with the effects in this flick? Uh, they're okay. I mean, I I see what everyone's saying for a werewolf movie. The bubbling crap doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but. From a just a basic special effects standpoint, I think that they they're good looking, and I think they hold up decently well. I agree with you, man. I don't know what all this hate on this Robert Downey is. You know they stayed too long on some of them. I I still say though that I would rather see even if even the stuff that didn't look real, even the Bakshi stuff, I would rather see that than a lot of the effects of today. And oh, I don't bad think that's really bad. bad. And I don't. A good point. And oh, I don't, yeah. th- and I don't think that's just, no- I don't think that's just nostalgia talking, you know. No, I'd rather see that than a Van Helsing werewolf. I'm just, oh, talking, oh yeah, you know, we're not taking context you, yes. of everything. We're just saying, you know, from the Howling the movie, you know, I was like, it's bubbling, fucking what is it? <laughs> I'll take practical effects over um, shitty curse yeah, style. I, uh, I wasn't trying to get into awesome. all that shit. I was just saying, you know, for the movie. I don't know what it had to do with <laughs> sex either. I like the naked werewolf lady. She's so she's pretty fun. <laughs> Seth, what did you think? Like one of the only points in the film where I thought the the effects looked super cheesy was the attack uh, at uh, Eddie Quist's cabin, where. Where the friend comes in, Jenny, and and they're like, and there's like hairy arms constantly reaching yeah, out. Just the, the close-ups of the of the various extremities. Yeah, get the hollow extremities yeah. that are getting cut off. I uh, yeah, they didn't look great. <laughs> <laughs> they certainly weren't uh, American oh, Werewolf in London level effects, but again, they they were all right. Right, right. Honestly, I think the Eddie Quist transformation is one of my favorites. I love it. There are points in it where it's gross, his skin's stretching, his hands are stretching, and when he the ultimate like the the end result when he turns into the werewolf, 
I mean, dog soldiers basically ripped it off. I mean, it's the exact same design. The wolf designs in it are are really good. Yeah, I agree with that. Glenn, yeah. do, you, do you like the the werewolf in this flick? I do. Uh, I I think they they hold up. I think still pretty well today. And I think compared to almost, I would say probably in the top five for best werewolves in actual movies, as far as how they look, because so many werewolves in movies look so fucking bad, so fucking bad. Including most of the Hollywood movies. Yes, let's let just please put an asterisk and footnote on that. <laughs> but Howling One definitely is the pinnacle of werewolves in this in this series. As as the movie was going along, the tension was building. The, the the werewolves are starting to come out. Glenn, how did you feel about how the movie was playing out? This is this is probably in my top two. Maybe maybe if I if I'm feeling kind of pissy top three werewolf movies of all time this is this is the not just the movie that got me into werewolves this is the movie that got me into horror uh, wow. because I mean, up up until this point wow. I, mean, you know, I was 10 when this came out and i saw it at a drive-in with my dad um but up to this point you know for me horror was like you know abbott and costello meet dracula you know that was that was a horror film for me for the most part you know i didn't see horror that much um, and this really opened me up to, I was like, holy crap, there's like some cool shit out there. And I, I, there's so much I like about how this movie progresses, exception being the very ending, but we can talk about that later. Yeah. <laughs> 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 this is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, nobody was talking, so I was just thinking yeah. it. Yeah. It's very interesting, very interesting, Glenn, because this has always been one of my favorites. I've always loved this. I always like going back to it. I think a lot of why I like it is because it gets dark and grimy when it needs to get dark and grimy, and I oh, really yeah. like that. One of my favorite scenes in this movie, is just uh, it's been a favorite scene of mine for years in this film, is when she chops off the hand. That's a good-looking yes. hand on the ground. That's a good yeah, hand. and the hand's like still moving and stuff, and I'm like, fuck, that's awesome. Yeah, well, like when it because it, it deflates and then all of a sudden rebuilds itself and is bubbling and twitching and all that shit. Yeah, and then it's a dude's hand. I had I watched and I hadn't seen it since I was a kid the 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 dark-haired woman, the one that gets naked with dude in the woods. Yeah, I remember, I remember yeah. her 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 breast being really pointy. When I was a kid, for some reason, like I was like, "Oh, he's just gonna put his eye out." But when I'm watching as a grown-up, they just look normal. I still oh, agree. <laughs> Sorry you've about that. Lot, you've seen a lot of breasts since then, though. I mean, when you're yeah. a kid, when you're a kid, you only have yeah. some. So you, those those first few, you always remember those first few in a certain way. <laughs> but you always have that like psychological, you know, response to, "Oh, that's what they look like." You know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why, man. She's, I just thought I would dead just, too. Yeah, she. What? She, she, she cancer at uh, like like almost twenty years ago. Ah, oh, jeez. Right. I knew oh, Christopher. That's so awful. Christopher yeah. Stone passed away too. I know that. So she was fine. She that's had a too good. Bad. And her I, her boobs were better than I than I remembered, and I don't know why. I just feel comfortable with y'all to tell you all some shit like that. <laughs> well, she definitely she played the seductress of the film that seduces uh, D. Wallace's husband away from her. And uh, turns him into a, a werewolf. And uh, what's going to be a mainstay of these uh, howling episodes is I, I have a segment that's going to be called Sure Sign You're a Werewolf. <laughs> the first, the first uh, sure sign that you have turned into a werewolf 
is that if you're a vegetarian, you start to eat meat. And this is what happens because her husband, uh, D. Wallace's husband, Bill, all of a sudden, after he gets bit or has his, you know, slimy, hairy werewolf sex with Marsha, <laughs> all of a sudden starts devouring meat. And D. Wallace and her friend are looking at him like, oh, I'm so sorry, I forgot to bring you a vegetarian dish. And he's like, no, it's all right. This this tastes great. If I don't have anything to eat, I'll eat anything. (laughs) Sure sign that motherfucker's a werewolf. Let's let Mr. Silent mark the movie man who's been very diligent about letting everyone else speak and get their piece in. Let's have it. Mark, how did you feel this, this movie played out? I want to know where they're hunting to get rabbits that big. Holy shit. Yeah, you know, I liked how, how it progressed and how it went on and it and turned into just this, this kind of grimy, feral, just like a werewolf, just this feral film where where things just start getting more sleazy as they go along, which I think more, more so this one than American Werewolf in London set the bar or the tropes for your werewolf films after this one uh just the way the werewolf behavior in that are handled i love the look of the werewolves especially as we get near the end where they're all uh uh, changing uh, and they're coming out of the barn and that and they're chasing d wallace i i love the look and the makeup that they did there of them yeah you know it's it's fun it's it's it, again, it's Joe Dante, and he is one of the few directors, I think even to this day, that is able to put his tongue-in-cheek but yet make you feel like they're not trying to be too hokey with the film, yet they are having fun with some things too. You know, it, it's a nice balance. Usually a filmmaker goes one way or the other, either take themselves way too seriously or they go the other dura- direction, and it's just, you know... Wow, they didn't. They aren't taking themselves at all seriously. But Joe Dante, you can tell he's enjoying this film, but he also wants to make a a, a legitimate werewolf film and not just some kind of cheesy, trashy thing. He he put some thought into it and and some care into it, you know. And, and yeah, I love some of the subtle references too, like the Wolfman Jack line. I love the Wolfman Jack. I'm like, oh, hey. That was pretty doggone slick. You worked that one in there, you know. Though I did have a problem with uh, D. Wallace's wife not thinking it's odd. Her husband just gets up in the middle of the night and leaves, and she's like, "Oh, okay." And she goes right back. To Maybe bed. he had IBS, and that was normal, Mark. <laughs> it could be. She that was also traumatized. Be. I mean, that's, that's the one thing you have to get down to the root of. Wasn't she, she also was nuts. on pills? Wasn't she also taking pills at that time? Yeah, she was nuts. She was in no way in any kind of capacity to make any kind of decisions like going to this colony or, you know, anything like that. So, I mean. At a place called the colony. Yeah, I know. Yeah. You know, the doctor, I mean, mean, at his root, this movie is pure exploitation. Exploitation of a victim, exploitation of a species. You know, everybody is just feeding off of everybody else, and that's what makes it kind of a perfect movie. I there, I have no complaints about the first Howling. Oh, no, I think I, it's I, very well thought out. I think it's very meticulous, mm-hmm. uh, the, like with the subject matter it's dealing with, 
with uh, just the tone wise. I, I honestly love this movie. And I do agree with Mark that Joe Dante was looking, even though, you know, it still has those quirks of a Joe Dante film with the right. humor and such. It, he was legitimately trying to make a horror film. I agree with you, Mark. Totally. Yeah, exactly. It's laugh or cry with him. But that choking scene, in all honesty, that one was intense where Quist is uh, choking her friend in the, the doctor's office. Yep. You know, I'm watching that going, holy shit. I mean, up until now, it's it's been kind of, you know, standard. But that scene right there where he's choking the life out of her, that was really dark and really serious. I mean, you're like, oh, this is this makes me feel just a little uncomfortable, just the way the sound was. And the fact that it wasn't your traditional choking, like you see someone flailing around or anything. I mean, he just slowly squeezes her throat. That's going to be my favorite kill yeah. in this film. Fella, those are real silver. i got to check him with a jeweler to find out what the judge. Bill me. Crazy fuck. If you're looking for a, a, a good example of a werewolf film that is the right bits of campy and intense and dark and brooding, but also kind of silly, um, kind of sexy, The Howling really, really is it. Now, before we get to that ending that everyone's jumping at the bit for, let's, let's talk about that final sequence in the barn there. Which, did anyone else, and this just like hit me while I was watching it, did anyone else feel that it kind of reminded them a little bit of the, the closing sequence from uh, Fulci's zombie? Oh yeah, man. Totally. Yeah, yeah. The, the way the, the, they have the, like the, the wood breaking apart and shit. I mean, because that's an intense scene in zombie. And you know Joe Dante's seen zombie? Absolutely. I thought, I couldn't help it. It's just like, wow, this is like zombie with werewolves. Yeah, I especially when the werewolf it. fought the shark. That shit was like a ripoff. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to drop real quick because um, for some reason I notice editors of movies. Don't ask me why, but I do. And Mark Goldblatt, who edited mm-hmm. this would go on to edit some of the biggest films <laughs> later on of the decade and, and still of cinema. He went on to uh, edit uh, Terminator 2, which is one, one of the reasons why what? I recognize the name. He he edited Piranha. That was his first editing. Well, that's he, a Joe Dante film. Yeah, so that, that was, was Joe Dante, Tom. but yep. he edited uh, Predator 2, Starship Troopers. He's edited a lot of really big films. So people out there, I just want to make a statement real quick because I'm always like this on my soapbox when it comes to B-films. People pick on B-films or pick on films like The Howling and go, a lot of people got their start working on films like this, big-named people. So before you go picking on us folks who enjoy stuff like The Howling and and uh, other B-movie films, remember, that's where a lot of your big-named stars and your big-named Hollywood guys got their start. Didn't he also – he also directed uh, Dead Heat. He directed Dead Heat, yes. And the, the best – still the best Punisher movie to date. <laughs> he dated oh. the adults. God, shut the fuck up. That is not the best Punisher Punisher movie. movie is by (laughs) far the best Punisher movie. You are drunk. If you think that the Dolph Lundgren version of the Punisher is better than Punisher Warzone, Warzone you are drunk. Look, Punisher Warzone is good in a what the fuck am I watching kind of way. Actually, speaking of what the fuck are we watching. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so that's the ending there. So I don't get us off track. No, no, I don't agree. 
Punisher Warzone is fucking phenomenal. I'm not going to accept right. anything else. So, like you said, it's my goddamn show. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> Here we are. The, we had the, the barn scene. Uh, they, they escape. And uh, then the, the final scene where D. Wallace and uh, their friend get back and decide to show the world that there are actually werewolves on air. From the day we're born, there is a battle we must fight, a struggle between what is kind and peaceful in our natures and what is cruel and violent. What the hell is this, an editorial? That choice is our birthright as human beings and the real gift that differentiates us from the animals. So now, here we are. I'm going to let Andrew start this one off. Andrew, let's talk about Poof Wolf. <laughs> hey, man, look. that's That could have been like the Peter Finch of werewolves, man. They blew that whole shit. Could have been like that one. You know? so we were like, I'm hairy as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. <laughs> So when we're referring to poof wolf, then what what are we describing here? What what is going on? Here? D. Wallace uh, turns into a a like a I mean I called it Shih Tzu, but yeah, Pekingese. Okay, okay, look like no, Fizzgig no, or some shit, like from Dark Crystal. So you know that not without the mouth. It looked like Fizzgig. It's Fizzgig. Totally Fizzgig. <laughs> I'm very certain that Poof Wolf was Dante's inspiration for Gizmo in Gremlins. Thank you, thank you. (laughs) If they would have just put some water on her, man, that would have been some crazy shit. (laughs) She was so sad. They tried it. Why would they do that? Is that what we're asking? Why would they why would they try to make her cute? Instead of just a monster? It's misogynist, that's why. She's sympathetic. No, it's because all the other werewolves were these vicious creatures who were prone to violent and murderous behavior, and she was seen as the protagonist and innocent, and so they tried to make her look as a more gentle uh, kind of creature, and that was a conscious choice to make her kind right, of look but differently. It's a, it's like a Ewok I don't instead, that. which is not a wolf. It's an Ewok. is like a whole other planet. <laughs> See, and so that's, I don't think that's the case because there not all of the. Other, said. Well, but the thing is, though, I it, from if you were going to stand back and think about that, not all of the rest of the characters that were werewolves were vicious people. Mm-mm. Single her out as is the one character that's going to turn into a pomeranian at the at the end of the film is kind of is kind of bullshit and All it kind of lies the fact she's turning into a werewolf was like you know cuz Robo T must have been a nice guy all he had to do was make her look like him <laughs> well, I mean, I guess that, I mean they they trap everybody in the barn, and that's when everybody looks vicious when they're trying to survive. And here's D. Wallace just trying to be like, "Hey guys, there's werewolves, and here's kind of what we look like." So hey, so when she turns, what's what's the next step? Like if they hadn't shot her and shit, what she, what would she have done? Just well, she would have turned and eaten the woman with the bad hair. She, she would have started like, licking the person next to her. Yeah. She would have been like, pet me and give me some alcohol. Tell me she wouldn't try to like go out for blood or some shit. Tried to hump the little red leg. She would have turned violent. Pomeranians are violent. Sheezes are violent. You know, they're just, they just want meat. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to know, know the werewolves. Why was no one doing it doggy style? 
No, what I will say about her though is I think he could have handled that so much differently. We didn't need to see her fully transform. I would have liked her get all crazy eyed, start standing up. You have people react in the booth. You don't ever get a clear glimpse of what she turns into, and then the guy shoots her. And then and, oh, yeah, it would have been better. And you don't need to see her fully transformed. This is where actually I thought Les would have been better because mm -hmm. then you give the mystery to the audience as well of exactly what did she look like when she turned, you right. know, and that versus the the grumpy cat syndrome. My question is when was she turned? Because <laughs> dude in the peep booth didn't break her skin. It was in the car. Oh, no, it was in the car. Her husband. Yeah, was okay, okay. Because, I mean, I've watched this. I love the howling. Like, the first howling, this one, I love D. But I've always missed where she was actually transformed into a werewolf. Near the end, so. it's that it's her, her – when they dive through the glass, the werewolves are jumping at the car. Gotcha, It's her gotcha. husband that bites her. Okay. I didn't even See, I mean, I've, I've seen this movie so many times, and I'm like – what the crap? She didn't even get bitten. No, there's some metaphor there with the husband biting her. Right. Uh, just think, just man, a little. He didn't, he didn't, for some reason, he did not want to cut away from some of those effects. He, he wanted to put too much on screen, which is crazy because you think about Piranha, right? Those fake-ass fish, how good that still looks when they're attacking people because he knew they looked shitty. Yeah. So he, like, did really good camera and editing to cover up from the shitty, fake-ass-looking piranhas. And then why all of a sudden in Howling? You know what I'm saying? Like what he could have uh, been a studio thing. I mean, it yeah. was it. It was it was Avco Embassy. Maybe they said, you know, we gave you like you know like four million dollars or however much this cost, and they said we want to see some of that shit on screen. You yeah, know, it could have been that. <laughs> Had to be, man. It was a poor decision. This is the only part of the film that I agree. I agree with Andrew Wholehart. I think this was just, that was a, a horrible decision, and it really ends the film on a note where. Um, it's such a strong film that that last werewolf is just shitty. I, I, I got to I want to say, though, I want to say, though, I actually love this scene. I actually loved this ending. I, I agree with Mark, though, that I think it probably would have been better to cut away and actually not show what she looked like. Right. Uh, but I actually love the idea of the ending that she's going to do this. I don't like the uh, necessarily showing what she looks like as much, even though I love the look on her face, you know, that horrible pleading look. Well, her eyes. And, I think that should have been where they sh they cut it. That should have been where they cut it because the teeth and the look and the makeup there when she's looking great. back and crying is great. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's heartbreaking. And I, I don't like so much where they, they cut to all the people like watching the TV. I'm like, we know people are watching TV. It's on TV. You oh, know? The kids. The kids were the greatest. You know, I don't yeah. like that. What are you kids watching? It's the news. She's turning into a werewolf, and then it should should have ended right there. Well, right. they didn't do it, but I I do want to say one thing is that you know we haven't talked about this actor is that you know she then is of course you know dispatched by uh, one of the other survivors uh, played by Dennis Dugan, and if nothing else is terrifying about the howling, then we should all be terrified by the absolutely shitty movies Dennis Dugan did when he became a director. <laughs> <laughs> because Dennis Dugan, that actor, is responsible for most of the Happy Madison movies. Ugh. Did you know that? 
Did everybody know that? I'm, I'm sensing silence here. Uh, yeah, I don't think a way to just take a piece of all of our yards. Doing it in a slang for dick, anyways. <laughs> He's fucking awful, mate. Come on, grown ups do Jack and Jill. I'm not going to fucking back down from that. I like Jack and Jill. <laughs> the creepy doctor who convinced D. Wallace to go to the colony is from the Avengers. So, oh, all the know. other actors are awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and he was fine until he, became, until he decided, I'm going to be Adam Sandler's lap. Boy, and, and uh, no, actually, he no. needed to pay some bills. His first movie, actually, as a director, was Par- Problem Child, which had nothing to do with Adam Sandler. So, actually, I can't blame Adam Sandler for that. The guy that works, uh, the guy that played Junior, works less than twenty miles from my house in the Toys R Us. Oh no way! Oh no! He would have murdered somebody by it. now. Hates is so bad. Because like, if you come in and you're like, "Is Junior here?" and he's like, "Shut the fuck up!" Yeah, he's probably going to strangle your ass. It's probably a bad move. So before oh, we go oh, into a awesome. spiral of problem oh. child talk, I want to I want to wrap up howling. One. We're going to go down the line and we're going to sit and give our thumbs up, thumbs down on on the howling one. Glenn, thumbs up, thumbs down on this one. Oh, huge thumbs up for this one, man. Awesome. One of one of the best werewolf movies ever. Cool. Andrew? Thumbs up, man. There is not a lot of good werewolf movies. There's one of the most, you know, the least done monsters and definitely the least done well. And I would say thank you, Joe Dante, for putting a lot of sex in it and for and even for putting a blonde werewolf in it because if you hadn't have done that shit, we wouldn't have a lot of what I like about Howling Part 2. <laughs> Scott? Oh, two very furry thumbs up. I'm a huge fan of werewolf movies, and while I have a huge affinity for, say, like the Paul Nashie films, uh, man, Howling is just incredible. I absolutely love it. One of the best werewolf films ever. Seth? Uh, Big thumbs up. One of the top five werewolf movies ever. And I just love that Dante does it without winking at the audience. Like, (laughs) you know. Well, so like these other Gremlin movies would it would eventually turn into. Right, exactly. We got the, we got quirky humor and horror and sleaze all at once without uh, bullshit on top of it. Mark, I give it a big old hairy palm high five. Uh, I think uh, this is probably one of the best uh, werewolf films. Out real there. subtle there, Mark. Re- real you. subtle there. Thank you. If nothing else, it's worth it for uh, Mr. Kevin McCarthy, who would go on to play once again a TV runner, operator, whatever, in UHF in oh, yeah. 89. Thank you. So if it's just worth it seeing him play someone behind the cameras like, you know, eight years earlier. Uh, But, yeah, this film's a lot of fun uh, and definitely one of those. uh, If you want to get into 80s horror, this should be one of your gateway films. Absolutely. Angelique. Absolutely. Big thumbs up. I mean, this is like uh, was said earlier, this is one of the top few werewolf movies out there. It's got that, that blend of comedy and terror and tragedy. Agreed. And I obviously, you know what I'm going to say. I'm going to say one big hairy werewolf boner up for this one. This oh. is d- downright my favorite werewolf movie of all time. I've watched it so many times. It's it's by one of my favorite directors. And uh, it has like every. I can't really expound on anything else that hasn't already been said by anybody 
on the panel tonight. I've had conversations and arguments with people that want to go toe to toe with me. It, like, like I'm wrong. Like I'm wrong for not declaring that American Werewolf in London is my favorite werewolf movie. Sorry, fuck you, dude. It's personal taste, and honestly, The Howling does it for me. I'm an exploitation film fan and a horror fan and a comedy fan, and The Howling hits every single last bit of every one of those things. So let's go in the pale, pale light of the moon glow, folks, Uh, and let's move on to Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf from 1985. In the pale, pale light, pale, pale light of the moon glow, I've got a hunger that's emotional, hunger that I can't control. I'm alone now, in my room again, on the prowl now, through your dreams again, howling. so green again and I worship at your feet again howling since the world began so there are multiple subtitles to howling to your sister is a werewolf here in the states we got your sister's a werewolf <laughs> in England it was Sturba Werewolf bitch. I love wow. that. That's awesome. That's her name, right? That's Sybil Danning. That's yep. That's legitimately what it was sold as. That's what it it was released as. In Glenn, in uh, Glenn Bittner's house, it was Sybil Danning's boobs. <laughs> <laughs> but regardless, we have a film that follows directly after Part One. Here, it was directed by Aussie director Philip Mora and stars Mr. Christopher Lee has one of my favorite, I mean, here I'm not going to expound on Christopher League and how amazing he, he is in general, but he gets outshadowed for me as an exploitation film fan by the one, the only, Strike Commando, Red Brown. Yes. <laughs> Red Brown is in this film in, in all of his screaming glory. And yes. we almost get to see his butt. Okay, okay, calm down over there. Your butt Calm down about. I know Red Brown's butt is magnificent. I know yes. that he's he's quite a, a piece of man candy, and he screams like nobody else. But <laughs> let me finish here. <laughs> Mister Starcrash himself, Red Brown, playing uh, D. Wallace's brother, who is now gone over to uh, mourn his sister's passing. Now, here's the synopsis from imdb.com of Howling 2, Your Sister is a Werewolf. Can't wait. Uh, you, you guys can't even keep a straight face with us. <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought it was more, more Howling 2, Christopher Lee needs a Maserati. 
funny thing you funny thing you say that, Mark, is because if you were to go in and study up on this film a little bit, Christopher Lee hated being on this set because he because <laughs> uh, he was so annoyed by Reb Brown and Marsha Hunt that oh. he literally walked away and was barely on set. He hated them so much that when he would go subsequently, because he's in Gremlins 2, he told Dante on set that he he apologized to him for doing this film. Wow. <laughs> really? <laughs> wow. You can tell that he's like not all the way there, especially in the crowd scenes, which we'll get into later, like during the festival, that he's just like, yes, I'm Christopher Lee and I'm standing here. Go ahead, pass me, Reb Brown. Yes, oh, you need me. Oh, boy, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, he had, and he, he had, and now, now he had worked. Now I don't know what his relationship was with Red Brown on the Captain America two or whatever, uh, the TV movie. But I know that he worked with Felipe Mora before the director on uh, the Return of Captain Invincible, uh, which he actually had fun things to talk about because he got to like sing and dance to a Richard O'Brien song. So, well, on that note, let's go ahead and let's finally get into this film. Let's go into the synopsis again from IMDb.com. A young man whose sister was murdered by werewolves helps an investigator track down a gang of monsters through the United States and Europe. Now, as I as I did with the first film, we'll kind of do a comparison with the novels because there were actually three howling novels that came out. And the second howling novel followed the story of the first one like right afterward. Now, while those novels were credited along with the subsequent sequels to the films, Howling 2 and Howling 3, both have uh, a, a write, written by, or, or it was like from the novels, inspired by the novels of Gary Bradner. They actually have little to nothing to do at all with, with those novels. And uh, I think, honestly, it's better off that they didn't. Those novels are pretty straight laced, and while they're good for what they are, I think they would have—they didn't have Joe Dante to spice them up because Joe Dante, with the first film, took the original script that was written that was really close to the Bradner uh, novel, and he completely had it rewritten to suit his style more. And I don't think Philip Mora, whose other films that people know. Definitely do not are not straight laced in any way, shape, or form. He wouldn't have followed that as well. So while they were credited to the uh, to the novels, they have nothing to do with them whatsoever. So instead, here, this film, Your Sister Is a Werewolf, starts off with an intro that that has a shitty comped Christopher Lee over stars, not unlike Dune. <laughs> Reading with with some crappy dime store skeleton behind him. Beside some shit that doesn't mean a single fucking thing in the world. For it is written, the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with her blood, and I saw her sit upon a hairy beast, and she held forth a golden chalice full of the filthiness of her fornications. And upon her forehead was written, Behold, I am the great mother of harlots and all abominations of the earth. 
Now, Glenn, were you having Berserker Hell's Warrior flashbacks with this intro? Oh, my God. When I put a VHS tape in my TV, I've never had my TV shit in my mouth so hard. (laughs) Thorny in my logo and then shit. It's like Christopher Lee is just floating in space with a shitty skeleton behind him, spouting off a bunch of crap. So this goes on. But it's Dracula in space. That's how awesome it is. (laughs) Well, the thing is, which is funny about that, when you say it's Dracula in space, while we all know that Christopher Lee was Dracula in many Hammer films, his character in this film is far more reminiscent of Van Helsing than just about anything else. Mark? Yes. Yeah, I I totally agree. He's 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 like channeling Peter Cushing. Yeah, he was. He was more Van Helsing than Dracula in his performance, definitely. Now, uh, Seth, how did you feel about how the the overall tone and feel of this film, which to me felt much more European than the last film, it was very gothic. It had that kind of Fulci feel. A lot of day of night. The acting was far worse than the first film. Had a lot of nonsensical editing. And it was far more in the style verse making sense camp that a lot of European films uh, had at that time and in the 70s. And I know you're a big fan of that style of film. How did you feel? Did you feel it stacked up to that kind of cinema? Actually, that's uh, one of the first notes I have written down on the film is that it's a U.S. 80s take on a Euro horror film. Complete nonsense going on and more worried about the visuals than making any lick of sense at all. When saying that, one of the the mainstays of all European horror films is excessive gore and, uh, you know, like monster hijinks. Now, in this film, you don't get an actual transformation scene whatsoever. Just a lot of shots that that are cutaways to uh, like ECUs. And when I say ECUs to people that aren't used to um, film talk, it's an extreme close-up. So there's ECUs of werewolf mouths and eyes and stuff like this. Uh, How did you think that that kind of stacked up to that Euro sensibility there, Seth? Uh, Fits right in. You know, just give them the money shot and nothing else. Andrew, editing-wise, this film was a mess. What did you think of that? Yeah. I mean, it was more of like they just, <laughs> oh, no. It, it didn't make shit of sense ever. Like, I, you know, except for the end credit. I don't want to skip to that, but, like, it's that a made a lot of sense. The that was the best. Like, all the weird editing seemed like it was a setup for that. Because if they had been normal-ass editing, then they did that. It would have been like, oh, wow, that's crazy. Why would they do that? But because the, I like to think that it was a normal edited movie, then they got to the end credits and were like, you know what, we should show her rip her shirt off 18 times. And they're like, but we'd have to go back through the movie and just randomly put shots of her in the between shit. That's fine. Do it. Do it. Do it. So so you're under the impression uh, that the end credit sequence was actually the first thing cut. Oh, man, there's no way. <laughs> I'm just playing. I'm trying to make excuses for this movie, man. And get to talking about titty as soon as possible. Both of those things is all I'm doing. Don't this movie was obsessed with nipples. I mean, yeah. that's 90% of my notes is 
There's so many nipples. <laughs> well, That's right for a dog, though, because there's more than people. Yeah, <laughs> agreed, agreed, and I'm glad that a werewolf movie finally got down to that. <laughs> it cut the it cut to the chase where the the original film had that you know mix of sleaziness and horror and comedy, and Philippe Mora took it and took the subtlety out of it and just went full bore, running flat into a fucking brick wall. <laughs> Yeah, so no, the editing's not, it doesn't make any sense, but it makes the movie seem crazy, you know, like it's made by a crazy person, and to me, that that's neat. Did you find it to be, because uh, this was something that I noticed, and we haven't even gotten into the real plot of the movie, but we're still talking about the feel plot. Um, did, did you uh, feel that it was, uh, I noticed, and maybe I noticed this more because he directed part three as well, and he kind of did this in some of part three, is that if it was his editorial take or if it was like studio intervention or like producer's intervention to every time somebody talks about someone else to have to cut away to that person to remind the audience that this is who they're talking about. Did you, did you feel that that was a really strange editorial choice? Oh man. I mean, you're just, there's so the editing's so crazy. You're just kind of going with it. You know, like you're not even trying to, it doesn't, you know, making sense is just the last shit you're thinking about. You know, you're just like, hey, where's Sybil Danny? I, maybe I'm talking about me. Sybil <laughs> <laughs> Danny in that outfit where she looks like Miss Marvel. My gut feeling about what that was is that this very much wanted to be a the new wave werewolf movie. Not new wave as far as a new wave of movies, but I'm talking about the actual new wave music scene and all that shit. You know, hence we have victims that look like they were in a flock of seagulls and shit like, like that. Like music video MTV style. Music video MTV style. Moonlight howling. <laughs> well, new, new wave hookers did come out that same year. Yeah, that's true. And uh, it was a better movie and more professional, too. Anyway, but the, but so there's lots of neon stuff. But part of that is also that weird cutting. And now there are some directors that managed to actually take kind of that new editing style and actually create something interesting with it, like take a take a, a, a mainstream movie uh, from a, just a couple of years before Flashdance. Adrian Line did a fine job with that, you know? Uh, other directors did a fine job with that. Philippe Mora, not so much. And he's like, just saying like, uh, I think I'll do this because this seems more hip and trendy and arty. And instead it's just basically hammering the audience over the frickin' head with, with this- With nipples. Yeah, with nipples. I mean, those, <laughs> now those are the nipples actually. that'll put your eye out right there. A lot of us. And they, and they just and they just uh, he just hammers it in, and it's just it doesn't work because even because even the most patient film uh, goer will think we get this. You know, we're not this dumb. You know, you don't have to keep on showing us this stuff. You don't have to keep on cutting away. And this is what it is. It's a lot of cutaways, a lot of inserts. And whenever he's like gets frantic that, oh, no, I'm showing two people talking on screen. I better cut it up, you know, so he's just not patient enough to let a scene play out because he, I think he senses how shitty the movie is or something. I don't know. I don't know if it's a, a matter of sensing how shitty a film is. I think it's more like what you started to say is that it was a conscious editorial style and a conscious um, aesthetic that he followed through on through the rest of the film. Maybe he's right. just on cocaine. Nobody said that. Maybe he's just on cocaine. Yeah. It was yeah. the 80s. 
That's also a problem. Well, that would explain why Reb Browning is, is in this movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, you leave Reb Brown alone. Like, His yeah, butt is glorious. Okay, so here we go. We're back to talking about Reb Brown's butt. Brown but well, <laughs> what I get a kick out of is his character in the beginning. It's like they lay it out. Oh yeah, by the way, your sister's a werewolf. Jenny, what did he say? He said your sister is a werewolf. Oh bullshit! <laughs> yes. <laughs> did you not see the footage of how your sister died? And Christopher Lee puts that videotape in of that horribly reenacted. Thank you. It's a fake. That's not my sister. Ben, it isn't a fake. I recognize those people. You know, I mean, that wasn't even Silent Night, Deadly Night Two level. Reenactment. No, it looked like some Ugandan version. Yeah, that was the chick that played the lead werewolf in D. Wallace makeup and costume. Uh, no, I'm a werewolf. Bang, you're dead. Well, never mind that. The new set in the original looked like a new set. This one looked like some kid's cardboard stage play that they. It was a it table in. at some Comic Con. I mean, let's get real. Table access. Yeah. Night. I will return to Karen's grave for her body. But I will protect her. And I will prevent this blasphemy. How? With this. How can you listen to this bull? I know that Glenn has been waiting, has been just waiting to talk about Howling 2. Glenn, give it to me. So far, it's shit in your mouth. But then you, you, you get Red Brown in here and Christopher Lee and the plot starting to thicken. How did you feel about this as, as we, are, we went through this club scene where these horny guys are trying to fuck this, this werewolf chick? Come on, Glenn. Howling 2. <sighs> there it is. <laughs> <laughs> Waiting for the sigh. Um, okay. I've, I've, I've used this term on, on my web series numerous times, and it's, the term is awfulsome. And awful sum means that a movie is so bad that it is looped past awful back to awesome because it's so bad that it's it's so enjoyable to watch because of how bad it is. That's kind of how this movie is. I mean, that whole fucking orgy type scene. The movie is like uh, well, a hundred or what? It's like an hour and thirty minutes. minutes. Yeah, it was so like long. And, and like. 48 minutes of that is Sybil Denny's boobs. <laughs> um, yeah. And the rest of it is Christopher Lee uninterested in where he is. Um, I love that Andrew's response is, yeah. Whoever, I was going to say, whoever that was is really creepy. And Sorry, man. I turned into a I kind of liked it. <laughs> so let's, I, mean, so, I mean, this is it's, – it's like Sybil Denny owed someone a favor – and another guy said, I know how to manipulate old people. So they got Christopher Lee. <laughs> and then said, hey, I like werewolves. Want to make a movie? And they're like, yeah. Hey, let's throw some witches in there too. You know, with some like weird, weird matchy shit. Because, you know, that's so much like the original Howlin'. Let's just say that this movie, as we had alluded to, the style of this film is literally all over the place. It's constantly shifting. It has... It, 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 beyond the the obvious editorial stuff we had talked about and, and uh, the wackiness of some of these characters, let's talk about its soundtrack. 
And by soundtrack, I mean one One song. song. (laughs) The one song that's played over and over and over, and it gets introduced via a club sequence in which Christopher Lee gets dressed up in a bunch of obviously clothes that were outdated by that point. It's supposed to be like mod clothes. And, you know, this dude that's like seven foot tall is definitely inconspicuous in this club. <laughs> and uh, I so love his glasses, though. Come on. Glasses are so good. <laughs> glasses are banging. <laughs> so, so there's this club scene where this band is singing this howling song. And the crowd is going nuts. A bunch of mod punks all flailing around and whatnot. So let's let's go down the line. Did anybody get sick of this song? by the end of the movie, Angelique? No, because there were two songs, actually, that repeated throughout the entire movie. There was the Howling song, and then there was the Hunger song. They sound sound very, very similar, but uh, I'm an 80s music aficionado, so there were two distinct songs, but they were looped. And then it would go into, okay, now we're going to play the Pale Pale Light of the Moon Howling song. Um, I I was confused. Were the band members werewolves, or were they humans (laughs) that were allowed to play werewolves? You're just thinking... Was it just some band that the werewolves hired to play? You know, because I'm like... I mean, I would write werewolf songs if I was allowed to live. I mean, I'd be like, yeah, Okay, we got full moon, rare meat. Gotcha, I'm gold. Give me a keyboard. We'll put something in D major. I think you're reading way too deep into that. Oh, that's <laughs> I mean, what was that movie with Rosie O'Donnell where Which they had to go one? undercover in the BDSM club? Exit to Eden. Exit to Eden. That's, this that movie really reminded me of that because there was so much leather and so many nipples. It was just nipples a go-go. I think the problem here is, is not so much the nipples. It's the endless, hairy, growling, sniveling, Werewolf orgy scene. Yes. That seems to go um, on for days. <laughs> Mr. Mark the Movie Man, would you like to talk about the werewolf orgies? You you know, that was just running through my mind right now that werewolves have extraordinary stamina, for one, because you get that scene where Civil Wolf. Uh, before her bush takes over her whole body, uh, <laughs> wow. sits there and, and shows shows the breasts. But then she has her two underlings go have sex. I'm like, she's been down for like you know centuries, and here she gives the sex to two other people first. She's got to warm up. She's got to warm up to the to the task. She had to get her fur on, is what she had to do. Right, and, right. And so she lets the other two go on, and then between that, we're cutting away to other scenes, and then we cut back to them, and I'm going, holy Christ, aren't these people done yet? And they're, they cut back to the scene some more, and then suddenly, just out of the blue, our heroes, uh, his butt, and there our... There was uh, no bare red-brown butt. No, it was close. But yet. but those two just suddenly like... I need you to hold me, Ben. 
And she starts going at it with Red Brown. I'm like, wait. She was, she was under werewolf spell. She was not. She was planning that in advance because, remember, he, he was trying to be all chivalrous, you know, your douchebag from the present. And, you know, uh, no, basically... They were, they were outside. Mickey had his handcuffs on and his tag from his mattress, and he yeah. was like, go for it. He was yeah. trying to... Well, he was trying to be chivalrous and said, like, okay, two separate rooms when they were yeah, checking she, the hotel. She's like, all oh, my like, room. Oh, no, one, one room. One yeah, room. I am hitting that. I am hitting that. Oh, Big yeah. McLarge huge. What are you? She's going to go all over Big McLarge huge there. Well, oh, this but... brings me to... This film's, and there's two of them in this film, this film's sure sign you're a werewolf. And that is, during that scene, while they're they're getting it on up in that uh, that bungalow at this... 666. Yep, in, in room number 666, Reb, Brown, and Jen. Outside, there is a werewolf. Sure sign you're a werewolf. You can smell sex in the air, even if people are in a house far away from you. You can just smell, you sniff in the air. Mmm, somebody's fucking. Somebody's fucking. So, in sure sign you're a werewolf number two of the film, who takes place during the, the funeral sequence when these two werewolves are hanging outside of, of the church or outside of the mausoleum where uh, this funeral is taking place, and one of them wipes his feet on the dirt like a dog who just took a shit. Thank you. If Thank you. you. It's a sure sign you're a fucking werewolf. I was going to ask if anybody else noticed that, if anybody else had dogs, because I'm like, is he always pooping? Because he's always, you know, doing that scratchy. Yeah, I don't know. I, I know we're, we're jumping around here, just like the movie jumped around. But back <laughs> I in think the it's be- appropriate, Mark. But, I think it's very appropriate. But in that beginning scene where she's in the coffin – I I was trying to figure that out because okay she's she's you know comatose whatever in the coffin and all of a sudden she wakes up and she's clawing at it and then the next time she's she's comatose again I'm like is she awake or is she why does she keep going <laughs> back to sleep I'm like you know she's a werewolf she hasn't supposed to be dead yet here she's like oh my god I'm in a glass case oh man am I tired well that goes into the question of, of embalming and funerary practices if they removed all of her internal organs they didn't it would take time her. well I mean they autopsy because she was shot on live TV true would it grow but it would, back it would take time for her organs, including her brain, to regenerate. Well, then why have her wake up then just to go right back to sleep, though? I mean, well, sure. because she was prayed over. I hey, mean, think Mark, about it. Think if, about if it. If you woke way. up and you were in this movie, wouldn't your ass go back to sleep? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd be too busy Lynn staring at Sybil yeah, but no, I mean, think about it. I mean, if it takes time for your brain to regenerate and say her body's still in the church and they're doing the whole funeral service, when they do the prayer and the last rites and whatevs, she's been prayed over and holy relics or something that plays a big part into this movie, including the holy hand grenade of Antioch. Thank you. Know. you. <laughs> I was going to bring you know, that up. <laughs> so, I mean, she's consecrated, and that delays the whole werewolf process until, you know, the stroke of midnight comes. Wow. Then her brain is grown back, all of her organs have grown back, and she's ready to go, you know, showing her nipples everywhere. That's which, funny because I don't recall any of this bullshit happening in this movie. Which, no, I'm really no, a no, lot into it. That you really are, honey. Wait, no, that's uh, you guys should go get a fucking room already. I, it, I, I, I think it was just really bad scripting, honestly. I, I mean, it's really. Tell you that. That's for damn sure. He missed a 
prime opportunity there to have her turn into a werewolf in the casket, in the church, pop up and be like all, Rawr. and then Christopher Lee could come running down with, we've upgraded now to titanium, and oh. titanium spike, and just spike her. That would have been a great scene. Could you imagine this thing opening up with her in the casket, turning slowly as they're doing the whole preaching thing, and then she shoots up and like bites the priest in the throat, and then Christopher Lee comes running down and jabs her in the chest with the titanium, and then our hero comes out and goes, I don't think she's a werewolf. Bullshit. Oh, bullshit. Can you make that movie, please? Can you just make that movie? Yeah, yeah. congratulations. Just like just about anybody else, you've made a better movie than Howling 2. I I mean, it's a – but yes, again, titanium. Because obviously it's the strength of the metal that was the problem. <laughs> and once you're old enough, you, you develop an immunity in silver and then titanium and then, I don't know, platinum, whatever. <laughs> oh. Well, it was – well, I think the first film also played on some of the – like uh, some of the tropes of werewolves from the universal films and of, of mm-hmm. literature that it wasn't strictly playing by the rules of that these werewolves have to change – uh, with the full moon, and that they could they only could be killed with silver bullets. Uh, uh, in the werewolves in this world and in the howling world can change at will based on mm-hmm. their temperament and based on if they're because let's go to to Sturba, played by Sybil Danning, who is the ultimate bad villain of this film, who starts who is also Christopher Lee's sister by yeah. character in this film. <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. means that which means that Christopher Lee has to be thousands of years old, and they never address that. Do not just walk around that plot hole. Just walk <laughs> around the bottle. I'm too busy concerning all the other people with bad dental problems in this movie, okay? So, so we have Sturba, Sybil Danning in this film. She starts off as this old lady who uh, they have the, all the werewolves congregate in this one place where they have big orgies. And they, they give her her power back because they do this ritual. And all of a sudden she turns into Sybil Danning, this extraordinarily gorgeous woman with barely any clothes on, which I appreciated quite much. And uh, she was nice. Yes, she was very nice. So so this character comes in, Andrew, Sybil Danning. Yeah, man. Hey, <laughs> hey, you know how much I love women's prison movies and shit like that. Civil Danning is just royalty from that stuff, man. And I don't really like the Howling movies that much. Like, not really. But I like Civil Danning a lot. And so when I bought the Blu-ray of Howling 2 immediately because I want to see Civil Danning in high definition, man. <laughs> doing this stuff. She and plus she's a blonde werewolf. I never seen that before. It's mm-hmm. awesome. And that looked great. And anybody that's seen my movies knows who Dee Flowered is. She's yeah. like yeah. the star of a lot of my stuff. She very, very much reminds me of Civil Danning in a lot of ways. And I remember when we were making Pajama Nightmare, uh, available on Amazon on demand. Um, there was this the character D plays of this Bat Woman, and I was like, totally, let's do a Howling Two. I mean, cover up her with hair, you know. I just, to me, it's just ultimate shit. I mean, I I don't know what to say. I just, I'm all for it. They could have. I fall asleep when I'm looking at Howling 2, but I wake up when I see Sybil Danny. What <laughs> I haven't mentioned is that her titties have so much power that she can shoot lightning out and explode motherfuckers' eyeballs out of their Yes, head. I was going to yes. get around to this. I was going to get around to this is that she is so powerful. She's not only just a werewolf that gets 
sort of blondly hairy at times and has endless sex orgies. Yeah, with Mickey also, from Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Yeah, she also has... Thank you. She also has witchcraft-style finger powers so and lasers good. that she could shoot out at will. Imagine now, if she had uh, them powers in reform school girls. She could have done that. Or an Andy Sedaris, that, what was that, Malibu Express that she was in? Yeah, mm, right. She, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it would be good stuff. Now, now, Seth, what did you think of the werewolves in this werewolf movie? Uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. He <laughs> can't even speak. I brought the man to speechlessness. Had all this time to prepare. <laughs> it's been bad. But I love this movie. Uh, just it's so awful and it's so enjoyable. I just looking at everything and how just completely full of shit everything is in this movie. <laughs> From the the sets to the the makeup and the the effects and everything, it's just so awful. Some as Glenn put it. Right. Yeah, I uh, think that's a good way to put it. Now, now let, let's go specifically straight to those werewolves. These fucking people that are just barely covered with fur. How did how did you feel about these? It was lazy <laughs> and half-assed and just like the rest of the movie. <laughs> it's very indicative of the rest of the movie. Glenn, did you like these werewolves? Werewolves? Those were werewolves? Well, there was this epic scene later on once... Uh, you know, Christopher Lee and Reb Brown, who are teamed up together, yet for some reason, those two and Jen form this group that are out to try and uh, destroy uh, Sturba. And they, uh, for some reason, they have no plan at all. They're constantly running around on their own while all these werewolves are trying to destroy them. And they're a group, they could work together. Nope, nope, nope. They're constantly in peril, left and right. Now, eventually, they, uh, uh, Jen, the, the, the romantic interest, gets kidnapped because some grapey, creepy Euro guy leads her into the woods saying Reb Brown is out there somewhere and, of course, tries raping her. What are you doing? I want to make that to you. But then gets knocked out. There's this great scene where uh, Christopher Lee and Reb Brown are out to rescue her and then try and destroy uh, Sturba. And they shoot every motherfucking werewolf in the entire country. Now, <laughs> this this was one epic fucking scene. This is like classic strike commando, Reb Brown screaming, <laughs> shooting shooting people with a gun by his dick. They were just like, this thing was just epic. Mark the movie man, tell me about this scene where Reb Brown clears out all the fucking werewolves in Transylvania. No, he it wasn't just him. He had the Gothic Avengers with him. <laughs> they assembled and so he was just the Captain America of the group. And so That's a deep cut. Way to reference. Deep thank cut. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, he uh, this this scene was a trip. I I'm like these guys are some badasses, and these are some of the worst werewolves ever because these guys, there's, what, three old geriatric dudes and Rep Brown, and they take out, like, 40 werewolves 
with, with just shooting them. these guys right now, they do eventually their numbers thin out of the badasses, but still the, the massive amount of werewolves these guys take out, including with the holy hand grenade. Uh, Jeez. <laughs> Thank you again. Yes. It can't be brought up enough. <laughs> it can't because it su- completely surprised me. I'm like, okay, Christopher Lee's got this vial of, I forgot what it, whatever Jesus it was. Jesus' blood. That's what it was, was Jesus' yes. blood. It was he stole it from the cross from you know from Demon Knight and he had some of Jesus's blood in there and so one of the werewolves grabs one of the Avenger Gothic guys. Uh, Grab and, Brown, he grabs him. No, he grabs the old guy and pulls him into a pit. Oh, the priest. That's right. That's right. He grabs I'm sorry. The priest and uh, so he grabs the priest and the priest is in the pit with the werewolf and they're writhing around or whatnot and Chris really just nonchalantly walks over, pulls out the red vial of cranberry juice. Looks down and he just and he goes, "Okay, let's go." And he walked away. And there's just this huge explosion from the vial, and I'm like, "Damn!" One, two, five. <laughs> going. The thing is, the fire keeps going, and the, this scene goes on for like a couple minutes, where they're standing there just watching this fire that continues to go. You're watching it burn, but that's after they eliminated the entire werewolf population in the area. I mean, I'm like sitting here going. Wow, these guys really are badasses, I guess. I mean, so that that part was cool, but these werewolves go down real easy. You got to personally also love just that bit where they're actually talking about the weapons they're bringing along. Prism, the consecrated oil, wax from the sacred candle. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Did you (laughs) just offhandedly say that you're in possession of the holy Holy (laughs) (laughs) grail? I mean, Indiana Jones found it three years ago. I mean, relax. It doesn't matter. I mean, bury the lead, (laughs) why don't you? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) they show all those, they show all these bladed medieval weapons, and then they're like, Oh yeah, then we got this rifle. <laughs> so, of course, Red Brown goes right to the rifle. That's, that's more my style. That's how Red Brown agreed to this part. I'm sorry. Of course, he because did. he's an idiot. <laughs> he was the smartest guy. He was the smartest guy. He's looking at these medieval weapons, going, no, "That's going to kick our ass. That's going to kick our ass." Oh, you got a rifle? I'll take that. Yeah, like, exactly. You lead you with have, that. You have creatures that jump and have claws, so uh, short-range combat with tiny little knives is probably not preferable to a long-range weapon that can shoot from yards away. And one of my favorite scenes, parts of that sequence where they literally eliminate every single werewolf is Red Brown shooting them and screaming, Christopher Lee eventually pulls out a revolver too, though. He's like, screw this knife stuff. And, and he, he tosses it to Reb because yeah. Reb eventually has the shotgun next to his dick and then the revolver next to his dick. And he's just going left, right, left. And he's just screaming incoherently. And well, no. I got a little turned on. Oh, of course you did. It's Reb Brown. That's what Reb Brown does. So here we go. They eliminate all of the werewolves in the area with their, their dick shooting. And uh, uh, Van Helsing. I want to say Christopher Lee, but he's basically Van Helsing. Van Helsing, absolutely. I mean, there was a lot of Dracula werewolf confusion here. Oh, big time, big time. Christopher Lee comes in and finally meets Sybil Danning. The epic standoff 
between boobs and Dracula. Finally, we meet again. For the last time. Stefan, you never could resist me. So, and they have this, <laughs> this standoff where, where inside of his head he's saying, Silva must be destroyed, and I will do it. Silva must be destroyed, and I will do it. While, while she's you shooting never resist witch, me. Yeah, witchcraft finger powers, like she wants to fuck him. Basically saying, "Oh, we need to be together, lover." We absolutely. Rubble. That's what she was saying. Yep. It was Christopher yep. Lee, wouldn't you? Well, well, um, um, <laughs> he wasn't ninety. He wasn't um, ninety. Paint Derek into a corner. Um, <laughs> he did look pretty good in that suit, but yeah. Yeah, he did look. Let's just say he's not my type. He had titanium spikes. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> okay, so that's uh, newsflash, listeners of Astro Radio Z. You want to get into Angelique's pants? Have titanium spikes. There you go. So, so what ends up happening? Uh, Christopher Lee obviously vanquishes Sybil Danning, and then <laughs> Red Brown runs out with Jen. Out into the middle of a plaza where there's a festival going on, points a gun at, at a violinist, <laughs> and then says, "Which way is the fastest way to the airport?" And then gets on a plane and flies away. So this is basically the end of the movie, except, except, except. except oh, hey, hold your horses. <laughs> they're back. They're back in the USN of A, and there's some scene in a totally throwaway scene. Where somebody knocks at the do- at the door, and then Reb Brown and Jen decide to go and talk to the next door neighbor, who is the creepiest, weirdest priest on Thank the face you. of the fucking planet. Now, did anyone feel that this throwaway little scene just like slapped them across the face? Like, he what the fuck was this? He was not a priest. That was a Halloween costume. He was all over Craigslist. Whatever it was, he was like, hey, you come over soon. I got a chainsaw. You got a bush. Let's go. What's creepier about it is he's a priest and, hey, I saw a little kid run in here. And he's like, no, you didn't. (laughs) No, you didn't. Come into my apartment. Please, come into my apartment. Come over later. I I have no wife. <laughs> He's like, like you're going. Well, that's just a bit. Creepy. I don't have any children. <laughs> but I'm about to anyway. <laughs> just the ones in my closet. But can we, can we go back just really quick? I, I I I know we're getting to the end here. We want to move on, but I just want to say the scene where. Uh, What's her name? I forgot the names. But our our reporter, she got kidnapped when she's hanging there. Did anyone notice how she just mysteriously got more bloody and dirty? They were werewolves having crazy werewolf bathory sex with her. Yeah, but they didn't apply that. They just they just came up and wiped her arms with blood and left. Who has time for that? Who has time? I I will say that the kid that shows up at the door in the werewolf mask for the trick or treat. I don't know who made his mask, but man, I want that guy to do every Halloween costume. For I want that, that was excellent I want that makeup. Guy to do, I want that guy to do all the rest of the makeup for the Howling movie. <laughs> yes, I know, right? I mean, that it was, was the- better than all of the Howling werewolves from here on out. So the kid comes up, and obviously, creepy. Uh, we have the creepy uh, priest next door. Then 
Let's get to it, folks. Let's let's end this right. We get to the epic end credit sequence, immortal credit sequence of Howling 2, which is probably well known for beyond anything, anything that we had just talked about, where we are then treated again, recycled, because this is a main thing that happens throughout all of this film, is that they recycle so much footage in this movie over and over and over and over and over again that we then see the club sequence again with the epic hobbling theme that we've heard 15 times before in the film. <laughs> and, and then intermixed in this, we basically get what amounts to be a, a, a sizzle reel of all the best footage from the film. And when I say all the best footage, I mean one shot of Sybil Danning tearing off her, her top 15, <laughs> 16 times. Well, that was the chorus. So. Yeah, every every good hard, hard downbeat was a bam bam, nothing but nibble. Absolutely, absolutely, Mr. Andrew Shearer. Would you like to wax nostalgic about this end credit sequence? Wax, yeah, dude. Hey, wow. check it out, man. You gotta remember this movie came out in the VHS era, back when you had to rewind and slow motion. And, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? One boob in a whole movie. Somebody like went to the future and came back and went like, hey, <laughs> let's just do this, man. This is going to help out a lot of somebody, you know? <laughs> it's amazing. It's like, it's some Back to the Future 2 type shit. It's the sports almanac of, of masturbation and VHS. I mean, it's it's just great, man. That's so cool. I, I, it's one of the, it's not just one, it's the best thing that happened in the Howling movies to me. This is the best thing that happened in almost any movie. <laughs> it's it's agreed. It it seriously now now there were multiple versions obviously of this film and of that end credit sequence. Yeah, that and were out there. says that she got she got upset and went after the premiere went to the producer and like you got to you know take that shit out you know but I think she kind of probably realizes that that. <laughs> you know, and as far as cult movie, uh, you know, the whole universe of that is concerned, that's some that's some ultimate type shit. I mean, Russ Meyer never even cut a scene like that. It is seriously just flabbergasting. The first time you see it, as a as a man or a woman who's a lover of women, it blows your fucking mind. Glenn, this end credit sequence. Did you have both hands on deck? Or were you incapacitated at the time? Um, I was still busy cleaning the shit out of my mouth. Um, <laughs> by this point, I, I I had probably less interest in in the Howling Two than Christopher Lee did. It's it's really hard. The film is nonsense. So let's go ahead. I think on that note, let's go ahead and give her thumbs up, thumbs down on this across the board. Angelique, we'll start with you. I have to give it a thumbs up simply because of the sheer audacity and ambition of everybody in it. I mean, I mean, come on, you've got Christopher Lee in it. How could you possibly give it a thumbs down, especially when there are that many boob shots? Plead that case. Good job, Mr. Mark the Movie Man. Oh, uh, um, 
I can't give this a thumbs down because Christopher Lee's acting in a completely different movie than everyone else. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank he, you for validating he, me. He is he is making some movie. He's gone over to his happy place and going, I can't believe I agreed to this. This is the movie I'm making. I don't know what the hell these people are doing, but this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> And up until the final scene with Sybil Danny, it's like Christopher Lee's just doing his own thing. I enjoyed Christopher Lee in this. I enjoyed him because he was like the anchor of of, of sanity to the rest of the bullshit. I, he's Christopher Lee. And he, he even in a crappy film like this, he's still being Christopher Lee. He's still playing this part. You can tell he doesn't like it, but by God, is he playing the part he's been hired to play. And for that, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it for that. And it's awfulness. Uh, you know, as BFG said, he, it's, it's, yeah, it's that bad. It's good, but I watch it for Christopher Lee. I, I enjoyed him. I focused on him. When he wasn't on screen, I checked out. But when he was on screen, I was like, yeah, okay. So I give it thumbs up for, for the boobs and Chris Lee. <laughs> I like how you it. slid the boobs in there. You, you slid the it. boobs in at the very last moment. The whole, the whole <laughs> fucking monologue about Christopher Lee. And then you're like, yeah, well, I like this movie for the boobs and Christopher Lee. Well, <laughs> I'm a guy. Simple Danny. Hey, I'm a chick, and there were some really good boobs in this movie. I'm sorry. Oh, all right. I I love that, Mark. Well done. Seth, your turn. Uh, Two big thumbs up. Uh, For all the bullshit that goes on in it, I loved everything about it. Christopher Lee bringing the class, Sybil Danning bringing the ass. Just leather clad nipple fest of bullshit gore and. Just excess. I love it. Love it, brother. All right. Scott Davis, you. I agree with everything that has been said. I can't, guys. I just can't. I've had to watch this movie so many times. Uh, first, when I rented it on VHS back in the day, and then I've had to like review it. Like This is like the third time I've had to review it over the years. Um, and... I, I agree with it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing to watch it because it's so bad. It's amazing to watch because it's so bad. They're currently rebooting Mystery Science Theater 3000 right now with a new cast. Uh, it's owned by, like, the Shout Factory people who, who just released it on Blu-ray. Please do this movie, guys. Uh, but honestly, no. I can't. It. I love boobs. I love all the trash and stuff. But it. But I keep on. But I always wind up screaming at the move at the TV screen every time I'm watching it. I don't know why. It's oh, it's so painful. This movie is so painful for me every single time. So, I've got to give it a thumbs down, guys. I'm really sorry. I just got to do it. It's just. It's this movie causes me physical pain. It really Whoa. does. <laughs> wow. Whoa. Like before three, you're going there. Before three, you're going there. Yo, it's oh, really bad. Oh, and, 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 and you know what? I'm sure like it's and uh, and since we've got six more of these movies after this, this is gonna be a rough year. <laughs> Dude, let me downer here. Nah, let me tell you. After we just had to watch six fucking Vice Academy movies, this is like. <laughs> 
Oh, this, this is like Vice I Academy just won. is so awesome. Compared I to just this. this feels like I just won a presidential pardon. Watch <laughs> the heart of the Howling movies, and the only matter of physical pain that I get from these is the possible hard boner that I'm getting watching Sybil Danning tear her top off 15 different times. Please, guys, let's move on. Mr. Mr. Andrew Shearer, thumbs up or thumbs down? Hey, I give it a thumbs up, man. You know, so we I, we do make a lot of mention about Sybil Danning, but I want to make sure we don't go, let this go past without talking about Marsha Hunt. She's mm-hmm. one of the few black women in horror movies and definitely one, another person responsible for a lot of nudity in this film. Uh, Marsha Hunt was with Christopher Lee in uh, Dracula AD 1972. Yes. And uh, probably best known for, uh, supposedly, she's definitely the father of one of Mick Jagger's uh, kids, but she uh, <laughs> supposedly the song Brown Sugar was written about uh, Marsha Hunt. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so that uh, I wanted to make sure we mentioned she's really fine too. And you know, bring some some uh, some of the nudity as well for the movie too. So I want to make sure we mention that. Definitely, she's awesome in this flick. So, Glenn, thumbs up, thumbs down. I gotta do a thumbs up just solely for the fact that you can watch this and find out what Hammer horror films would have been like if it was made in the late eighties. Yes. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. I also give this a huge thumbs up. I watch this movie all the time. I literally, before it was decided that we were going to do the Howling series, I had just watched this movie on my shitty old VHS that I showed before. And I watch it at least once a year or once every other year. Um, This movie is just pure hijinks. It's, It's just what shit film fans like salivate for. It, 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 it's got hokey, hokey monsters, tons of action, Red Brown. How could you, like, Red Brown instantly in a movie puts the camp level past the roof. You already know what kind of movie you're in for at that point. And then you have these beautiful women, people just writhing around with, like, glued on hair and snarling at each other. And it just... This movie is ridiculous. I absolutely love this movie. So big thumbs up. These you're gonna get you're getting on this episode extremely happy, Derek. Because as we're moving on to the third part, you're gonna find out I really like these three movies. So next, you are going we're going to talk about now Howling Three, the Marsupials, made in nineteen eighty seven. It is the beginning of the end. Sir, that's a camera. <laughs> What's so funny, fellow? We're most loose in the Soviet Union. Do we tell the powers that be? I'm not telling them. It's not the full moon that makes you wild. The moon doesn't do it. Do you realize what this means, Sharp? A new species of human. The beginning of the end. It's quite beautiful. Beautiful? Yes, Mr. President. Is it a goddamn Polaroid of Jesus Christ or what? I wonder how many more of them there are out there. We are turning into a little monster, aren't we? We understand the scientific significance of studying them. However, we are of the opinion they should be wiped out completely. They should be eliminated. 
So Howling 3, The Marsupials from 1987. Now, you're wondering, The Marsupials, what the fuck is... It's a werewolf movie, right? Well, we have Philippe Mora, who directed the amazing part two. You heard it here first. You know, uh, Scott Davis said how much he loved Howling Part 2. So we have (laughs) Philippe Mora back for part three. And uh, it's really hard for me to grasp exactly what this film is about. So I'm going to turn it over to Mr. Glenn Bittner, and he's going to tell us what the plot synopsis is of Howling 3, the Marsupials. Glenn, go for it. Yes, Howling 3, Marsupials. It is a tale as old as the ages. Uh, Boy meets girl, girl has a pouch, dude fires a rocket launcher in a tent. I mean, they've been telling this story for hundreds of years. Hundreds. (laughs) (laughs) And there, folks, it's only three the marsupials in a nutshell. Um, Shakespearean. Oh, I'm crying. I'm crying. It, it, it literally, it, that sums up, you know, well, one, it gives you the highlights of the film. <laughs> but it, just in general, this film is batshit fucking crazy if you ever saw any exploitation film you know what you're in for say you saw a turkey shoot and you're like oh fucking hey i love this film some people saw as escape 2000 where and you're like i need more like that howling through the marsupials will fit in quite nicely because this is actually has nothing to do with the previous film it uh, has nothing to do with any of the books because, again, they decided, even though it gets credited as part three, he decided, nah, I'm just going to do my own thing. This is actually a standalone film. And Philippe Mora must have had uh, a deal already to make this uh, before part two came out because I can't imagine after part two came out, anyone would get the nod to make another one. Oh, the, the, the producer talks about this. Uh, he, um, for some reason, there's an extra on the, on the Blu-ray of Howling about where the producer just talks about every single sequel really briefly. And he must be the most affable guy in the world because he doesn't hate any of them except for maybe the seventh. And, which he didn't have anything to do with. And he said, yeah, uh, Philippe said he would like to give, have a shot to do a, another Howling film uh, based because he feels he kind of screwed up the part two. I don't know what he's talking about. I thought part two was a really good movie. <sighs> so <laughs> he decided – so Philippe decided – he gave Philippe free reign, and, free, and since Philippe Mora is an Australian director, he made a quintessentially Australian air, uh, werewolf movie. Yeah, werewolf? It, couldn't be, it couldn't be more Australian werewolf. if he yeah. tried. It, I mean, werewolf in quotation marks is – you can hear by through everyone right now, it is not necessarily a straightforward werewolf. Now, the, as Scott had just alluded to, Fleet Moore was disappointed in the way that the second film came out because the film was recut. 
with more boobs that he didn't add into there. And he wanted to rectify this by making a PG-13 werewolf film. He raised all of the money, and he had complete control of the content. So what does he make? As Glenn said, he made a film where werewolves are marsupials and have pouches. Um, yeah, uh, this film has, <laughs> let's just go into the style of this film real quick as we did with the last one, because really, if there's anything you're going to point to in this film, it's the style of the film, because the content is so all over the place that I really firmly believe this is a film you have to watch multiple times to really get your head around to understand what the fuck is going on in this movie. It's batshit fucking crazy. There are jump cuts in time everywhere. People talk to the camera. They break the the third wall, and, and it just literally, like, at times it's a found footage movie. At times it's a regular film. At times people are talking to the audience. At times they're not. There's hard transitional noises like lasers in between scenes at times. Um, there's a lot of self-referential uh, comments on film itself, on uh, society, on the government. There's a lot of metaphorical tones to this film. Overt black humor. This film is much more of a comedy than it's anything else. The main thing is that it nothing at all in this film is subtle. Glenn, what do you think of the style of this film? It is definitely an Aussie film, first of all, uh, because nothing makes a lick of fucking sense. I'm trying to think where I've seen worse-looking werewolves or an uglier baby. Um, <laughs> that, that, that Georgie Animal Steel thing that she has as a baby is terrified. <laughs> okay, so what we're talking about is character Jaboa who uh, is is this marsupial werewolf. She runs away from her, her tribe and goes into the city and then becomes an actress in a shitty underground film called Shapeshifters Number 8. You know, this movie is about pop culture. In the 60s, Andy Warhol showed us how pop could be high art. In fact, everything is high art. That's what this is all about. For example, in your first scene, you'll be gang-raped by four monsters. She meets this boy, they fall in love, have sex constantly, and then she gives birth after two days to this little puppy wiggly worm thing that a crawls joey. into her. Yeah, it crawl, crawl, crawls a into joey. her pouch. This is what Glenn is referring to. So Glenn, continue with the puppy furry worm thing <laughs> that crawls into her pouch. Yeah, I just, man, I just like the, there's the three females. That always, I mean, their fucking faces. I mean, it looks like stuff you'd buy in a Bart's party supply. <laughs> it's, uh, it's just so bad. The such awful, awful makeup effects that are it's it's laughable. I mean, beyond laughable. Although we do get a werewolf ballerina, so there is that. Oh yeah. So, so what you're referring to is a Russian werewolf, because now not only are there regular werewolves in America, they're in marsupials in Australia, there are Russian werewolves that have six nipples. Oh, yeah. Well, that's just like, like normal Russians from what I'm told. Don't, don't um, forget, her and, pouch glows. Her yes, pouch her pouch glows. glows. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean... That's, dude, it, that's how you know someone's talking about it. Marsupial, marsupial, you are known for having pouch raves. So... 
Oh my, oh my gosh so so here we are this film is already in this conversation is already off the rails seth what did what did you think of this one i know you're a big aussie film fan uh this movie i think it was about the the 40 minute mark which felt about two hours long it hit me that this movie is Troll 2 through and through. I mean, I know Troll 2 came out a couple years later, but there's so many similarities to it, including the stupid village name that is Wolf Backwards, Flo. <laughs> <laughs> and and the, uh, the the weird, like, uh, shaman guy from the, the werewolf village that reminded me of Grandpa Seth from Troll 2, who just sporadically shows up yelling his fucking lungs out at everybody. The whole thing is just batshit crazy. The pouch creeped me out. The little worm dog thing needed to get stepped on. The whole fucking movie <laughs> is... It, it just blew my mind that this managed to get made. It's... Uh, the the makeup effects... Oh, my gosh. It is just... It is just downright shocking. What, what, well, one, it's very ambitious. The film's very ambitious. The story is... It changes on a dime every half hour and sometimes every 15 minutes. But um, it's it, it's really hard to wrap your head around. Um, Andrew, what did, you, what did you think of this one? Oh, you know, man, I like... I didn't really remember it, but then when that that movie Not Quite Hollywood came out, that documentary about Ozploitation, I saw the scenes in it. And I'm like, fucking what? That was Howling Three. I don't remember all that shit. <laughs> and kind of most of what it showed was uh, the stuff from uh, what is it? Something from Uranus. The yes, movie that the, he takes the movie within see. a movie. Yeah. Um, so I was like, I gotta, I gotta watch Howling. So I got, I got Howling Three off Netflix after I watched that documentary. And I just remember really digging it. I'm like, this is kind of a parody of the other Howling movies and, like, the special effects, especially how they're all, like, funny, stretchy, balloon face shit. was yeah. a great takeoff on the way those stupid, I'm sorry, effects were for the first movie. <laughs> and and uh, I just thought, like, you know, especially with the sexual element, too, it was just like the Australians making fun of the Howling, you know, so people really, when they talk about the Howling movies being comedy or whatever, being funny, this is the movie they mean. This is the best Howling movie to me. I love it. <laughs> 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 I mean, I like the I like an original thing. Like, I like a memorable thing. You know, I not, the other two weren't as good as I remembered them being, but this was this was great. It was like way better than I remembered it being. I I just like I don't know, man. I'm I'm big on originality to me, and just like an audacious kind of thing. And it really did its own thing. It didn't give a shit about <laughs> making sense or you know what I'm saying. Like, I I just like it. I, I yeah, it, it really doesn't give a shit about anything other than it wants to do what it wants to do. And mostly what it wants to do is lamb-based everything, literally yeah. everything. Yeah, and, and I even like the the woman, the the the, the one who has the, the, the kangaroo baby or whatever. I thought she was really, really pretty. Um, I thought she was a good actor. So much. Yeah. yeah, it's all my favorite acting, too, um, is in this one as well. Well, and I have to say, when I rewatched this one uh, the other day, I said, I, I thought to myself, 
God, Andrew probably loves this fucking movie. <laughs> I've been on enough of these shows to where y'all kind of get a sense of what I mean. I'm, for those who don't know, I mean, I'm, my profession is a movie critic. So I'm, right now is Oscar time. And so I've been watching a lot of really depressing, <laughs> sad, and having to write about it and all of that stuff. And I'm like, Howling 3 was exactly what I needed, man. So thank you for thinking of this and for letting me be on it because I was like, Howling 3 made my, made my fucking month, man. Dude, I knew you were going to dig this. Like when I revisited it with Amanda, who couldn't be on the episode, she watched all of them with me, but she watched it. <laughs> she liked it too. Oh, she loved it. She yeah. you know, ha- most of the way through it. She kept looking at me going, what the fuck is this? Right. It's unreal. <laughs> but like, I don't, I'm not trying to make fun of it or anything. I don't think it's bad. I think you could not try. You know what I'm saying? To to make a movie as crazy as that. There is so much in this movie that's so bonkers. And let's talk about let's talk about the the lead character Jaboa, who is the main marsupial, who and named see. after shampoo, which is crazy. Yeah, <laughs> and and so her and her man have this sex where he's in bed with her. She doesn't want to take her top off, and he wakes up and then looks down and. Her entire abdomen is hair. So it, instead, it, but it doesn't, you're not, it's not really apparent she has a pouch. It just looks like she has bush for days. Well, like, it, it looks like she has a cesarean scar. Yeah, for real. More that's, than what anything. That's, that's what I thought. I was like, did the stepfather cut out her wolf baby from times past? Because when it opens and you get to see her for the first time, she's being taken back to the man. And Don't be afraid of me, my child. I want to help you. I don't need any help. You should not run away from home. I don't like home. Why, child? Because my stepfather tried to rape me, and he's a werewolf. And it was like, oh, Jesus. But I was like, is that a cesarean scar? But then it what turns it out like. to be her pouch. That right. was cool. See? See? Cool. No. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Scotty. You've been waiting. Go for it. Let me take you back <laughs> to, when oh, I, to when I was to when I was 12 years old. So you're going to have to go like way, 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 way back in the time machine here. And this movie came out on video because it didn't come to uh, our area in theaters at least. Uh, where I was living in New Jersey at the time. And um, my, I would always rent these movies. I loved B-movies. I loved exploitation films. And I would rent this stuff all the time. And I wasn't I was wasn't quite at that age where I was really able to rent R-rated movies, and this was PG-13. So it was the first Howling film I had ever seen. And I rented it. And I remember starting it up. My parents had no interest at all in anything I, I watched. You know, my dad doesn't like fiction, period. Uh, my mom just thinks they're stupid movies, whatever. She sees this come on screen. She sees the marsupials, and she just starts freaking laughing, just busting a gut. And I'm like, why? What is a marsupial? I mean, I was going to private school, so unless it was about Jesus, they didn't teach you what it was. And um, I had the same reaction. Yeah, so I didn't know what a marsupial was. And my mom told me, she says, a marsupial is like a kangaroo. It's a creature with a pouch in it. I said, so the werewolves have pouches? I just looked at my mom. She did not even scold me for looking at her dead center and saying, you've got to be shitting me. <laughs> and... and Throughout the film, when I watched it when I was 12, and I had not watched it again until like about a week ago for this show, 
I still have the same reaction. You gotta be shitting me. <laughs> like I told, like I told everybody before the start of this, I had never watched Howling Three until having to watch it for this episode, and I pretty much had the same reaction, oh. except alone in my hotel room. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what's like when you do these franchise shows, unfortunately. And uh, I mean, yeah, I'm thank you, Seth, for bringing up the Troll Two thing because when I saw Troll Two years later. I said, holy crap, not only is the twist of the story stupid, they ripped it off of Howling 3. It's got, like, just ridiculous things where, pe- where the uh, U.S. government, uh, classified as the National Intelligence Agency, not the Central Intelligence Agency, knows about werewolves. I'll have to speak to the president. No, that won't be necessary. The president has given me the authority to take charge of this situation. You will report to me. Uh, you've got Michael Pate, who also played the president in Philippe Mora's Cap- Return of Captain Invincible, incidentally. Uh, you got um, just ridiculous things going on and on and on. But you got stupid things, too, like the werewolf, ba- marsupial werewolf baby, which looks ex- almost like just like the thing that, uh, the little creature from House 2, the second story. Yes. Anybody remembers that? Yeah. Yes. Uh, it kind of looks like that. And you have this thing where, okay, not only does he see fur on his lady's chest and not react to it, <laughs> later on he finds out that he's having a child. Yes, okay. I love where this is going. That he sees the child. He sees the child in person, and she shows that this child, this weird creature thing, come out of her pouch. You're, and now, you're well, I mean, first it came out of her vajay. Let's be, let's be cool about exact this. exact reaction. Now, now, you'd think, no, even if you turn out to be ultimately cool with it over time, you'd expect your first reaction to be, wah! <laughs> There's got to be some kind of shock there. What's his reaction to this completely alien creature no one's ever seen? Is it a boy or a girl? Boy. That's Big it. smile. That's He's not it. traumatized at not all. Not at all. Not at all. This is like, you know, this is like freaking Thursday for him. This is nothing. Maybe that's what it's like in Australia, man. <laughs> well, you know, Australians, you know, and I've met my first year of Australians. They live differently, man. Maybe his they previous girlfriend was Being in Australia is out to kill everybody that is there. Maybe his previous girlfriend was Including Dame Edna. <laughs> Dame Edna is out to kill everybody and everything. She is the number one predator in Australia. I'm going to get you, possums. Exactly. So I mean, this is—it is not surprising that there is a ton of werewolves or were marsupials. Were werewolves? Where are these? wolves. I like the kangaroo wolves. wolves is the best. Kangaroo wolves yes. is the best. Yes. <laughs> I like that. It is not surprising at all between camel spiders and platypi and <laughs> kangaroo wolves. <laughs> Any, everything in Australia is out to kill you, so this is this was not a surprise. Didn't they make a, like a joke about the, the duck-billed platypus in this yes. movie? Yes, they did. I was just about to say that there is a scene where they they you know equate basically. Oh yeah, why is this out of the ordinary that we werewolves would have you know a mutation where some of us have have this where the platypus actually you know they equated what a duck and a what fucked and they <laughs> had a baby. 
I I don't know. I don't yeah, know. Beaver, Jack and a beaver. But oh they, my they, god! They bring that backstory up is that the legend is that this like now okay was it a guy who loved a woman that was a wolf or a woman that loved a guy who was a wolf? I forgot. Oh, it's dude a in, in no, love it with. Was, a... The Tasmanian wolf yes. was hunted down and killed, and the spirit of the Tasmanian wolf angered so that it, it changed the people into where the kanger wolves. Oh, but they, but they also had a legend or something about a guy who loved a wolf, didn't he? It's like a At fake old movie, point. like a cannibal he wolf was, holocaust. I mean, yes, it was. I love that. Yeah. It, it is can, it's cannibal. Worse than <laughs> it's, it's cannibal wolf holocaust. It's cannibal wolf holocaust. We need to copyright that name immediately. Kangaroo. <laughs> yeah, copyright that and make Get sure it. that kangaroo.com is, is available for Get it before the Sell asylum, it to asylum gets to yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wait, yeah. They're already on day two of production. So, Mark the Movie Man, what did you think of can- uh, Howling 3 Kangaroo Wolf Holocaust? <laughs> Um, I took some notes. And, uh, oh, I never read my notes from any the uh, least native-looking natives ever. I mean, ever. Those were not. They. I don't know who they found, but what do you mean that you are you talking about the <laughs> Aboriginal guys? The Aboriginal guys. They they seem legit. There was this uh, that awesome scene where that one Aboriginal guy <laughs> flat out tells the dude. Could you imagine? You got one tooth. So you put one tooth down in your mouth. It'll come out of your asshole. No shit. Love that dude. He's the best. <laughs> but they have that found footage from eighteen whatever fuck and. The uh, natives are smiling at the camera. I'm like sitting here going, what, what, where did they find these guys? And what tri- are they? Australia. The, they're they're like the tribe that no one attacks because they're just too pitiful that they they're not even worth it. But besides that, yeah, there's the found footage angle. There's the breaking the fourth wall at some point. Why are we being filmed? Uh, don't let it bother you, Beckmeyer. We are recording everything here for future generations. Please go on. Wait, what? You're acknowledging the camera. What? What's going on here? Um, it's so random. I will say I do enjoy uh, the Jerboa character, not just because uh, she's hot, yes. but she gets some of the best – she does some of the best acting in this film for a positive because this film, when I first saw it, I just I hated it completely. And I, I've never been a big fan of this series in general except for the first one. But i watching this one again now having watched many, many, many films. And I will say that I think uh, Imogen and Nestle puts in a, actually a decent performance in here as her character, namely for just the scenes. And I, I love the little tidbits where – they're watching the werewolf movie, and she just nonchalantly, she's just cold as ice. She's just like, it doesn't happen like that. <laughs> yeah, I'll show you later. I just, I just loved how she, she, she played that off because the dude's totally pointless. And I'm like, dude, warning signs. I'm like, I'm like sitting here going to be like watching a slasher film, and she goes, Nah, blood doesn't burst like that. It's like, she's got nice boobs. It doesn't matter. Well, well, Mark, what about her epic scene? Probably the the pinnacle of her 
acting turn in this movie, and perhaps the pinnacle of the film, mm. it, when later, when um, their aboriginal buddy, who just summoned the spirit of uh, Er Muno, who yeah. is the, the phantom, and he ends up dying because he kills all these hunters who, for some reason, forget how to use their weapons as soon as a werewolf <laughs> comes by. And she runs over to him and, and, and like, consoles him. And, you'll turn into a river, Kendi, and then a rainbow, and then you'll be a mountain. No way. I'm just going to die. It's <laughs> so a great scene. That was actually a good scene, actually. Yeah, Aboriginal scene. spirituality, the the whole you know recycling of the spirit and reincarnation and that sort of thing, which I mean, honestly, to the to the you know Australian and Aboriginal spirituality kind of thing, you know, kind of plays into it the spirit of the wild and and whatnot and the whole thing about this wanting to be free and wanting to be our own tribe or whatever. You know, they really were kind of put upon by the, you know, the government or the man or whatever, yeah, you know. That's, that's true, but where'd she get the money for the bus ticket is my question. There was then, a free bus. Here we the go free, again. And then, the priest on. paid for her ticket. I've, the priest I've, paid for her ticket because he was like, my child, this and that. And she's like, oh, well, my stepfather tried to rape me, and oh, he's a werewolf. And the priest wait, was like, oh, shit. Wait, wait, wait. There was no explanation leading no. up to that because it jump cuts from it jump cuts from her running away. Right. Literally, she's not even three feet away from the fire. Jump cuts to her then riding a bus. Have Hold you on, never I seen Priscilla's Queen of the Desert? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, there are people patrolling Australia from one end to the other. And if you got your thumb out, you can hook a ride. I don't care if it is Australia, but the director, to get the actress for his movie, chases her down like some kind wow. of stalker perv. Yes, the rapiest <laughs> chase scene. <laughs> Okay, no, no. Don't be frightened. Don't touch me. Look, I don't want to hurt you. I want to offer you a job. A job? Yeah. Dude, what the hell? This is your approach? Run out of a car and just start running after her? So there's that. Then I mean, they, Then know. he looks past that, and she's like, yeah, okay, let's get it on. And they have the wettest sex. And, folks, I'm not talking about <laughs> wet like she's turned on. I'm talking about there's a leak in their water bed. They should really look for it because when <laughs> – Look at how much hair she's got going on, though. They aren't just sweaty. Did they just come out of the shower or what? No, they have sweaty sex. Now, I can understand her because she's got a lot of fur, but – Man, are they just wet? I mean, those sheets had to have like a pound of water in them. It's it, the early '90s. It's jazzercise. Everybody's wearing leg warmers. There's a lot of moisture be. above the waist. <laughs> There's a lot of moisture in that bedroom. They needed a dehumidifier because, man, they had some sweaty ass <laughs> sex a couple times. I'm like sitting there going. You're wet. Get a towel or something. My God. Oh, and so then, so Mark, do you uh, have completely dry sex? Do you, is that what you're, we're basically alluding to? Is there uh, no, no. I'm in? saying well, a little bit. Of, that he never breaks. No, no, I'm saying that the, the fires are guy, starting. 
the the guy who is in charge of the spray bottle to make it look like sex used a hose instead. A little. So spray you need for, a new spray bottle you know, guy. Is what I'm hearing. Look, I almost just yes. spit beer all over my computer. <laughs> so so besides <laughs> that, then you've got an entire hospital that gets killed, and there's no security, no panic, no hos- the cops or anything. This whole uh, hospital just got annihilated. That's what you get with Obamacare. Oh. 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 And and then and there's then, so much shit in here. I don't know. I there's a lot of I've got a longer list. Anyway, pouch glows. Uh yeah, she was the best part of it. I liked her character. I wish her character was in a better script because I enjoyed her character quite a bit. And I even dug the bits and pieces like with the Phantom Wolf and that. But then it takes a turn. Like I, I thought, I was watching the Return of the King, because yeah, there's, there's like, four different endings to this movie. There's like freaking. I'm like, oh, okay, so we resolved this up. Okay, wait, what? Wait, those kids are growing awfully damn fast. Wait, 15 years later, really? Yeah. Uh, and then the third, act, the third act spans decades. You know, the third act spans almost 25 years. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, honestly, mind blowing. When she gives birth, I was done. I was like, I'm done with this. Okay, you had a Joey, and it crawled into your creepy pouch, and I know your metabolism is accelerated and everything, but I'm done. I'm done with the weirdness of this. And, I mean, I've watched this, I think, five times since it became available to us to view, and I still am like, Anything past her giving birth is kind of a blur. <laughs> wait, wait. Are you trying to tell me, Angelique, that you weren't pulled in during the one hospital sequence where they basically strobe light Philo, who's the leader of the marsupials, who's a big, bald guy with a tiny face. No, the small face. You need an odorous wolf mongus. And, and, and all of a sudden, all these people run in to try and, and, and try and stop because the guy can't stop shooting the or flashing him with his light. For well, some I reason, mean, there's some tractor beam. And then all of a sudden, he breaks out as a werewolf and throws somebody out the fucking window. And it's the worst <laughs> The werewolves all had bunny ears. Falling down 40 stories to the sub song that's all falling down. I was just kind of like, eh. You know, they all had bunny ears. (laughs) It was all nothing but Easter bunnies to me. And the cops still don't show up, though. Yeah. It was was odorous wolf mungus the whole time. And... And I mean, I had fun when he was looking at the camera and laughing at his own, you know, image or whatever. But the minute she gave birth and was like, "Oh, I gotta protect my baby," I was just like, "Check out." Yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but I mean, I, remember that they're not. There's no cops because they're all under the uh, auspices of the National Intelligence Agency. <laughs> well, remember, guys, the Pope did verify. <laughs> too. So, so it's okay. okay. He can recognize whatever he pleases. You know, that's cool and all, but I'm just like, you know what? Yeah, they're different species. Fuck it. It's Australia. Oh, my gosh. For me, I'm trying to figure out. She was an actress, right? She was a famous actress. Okay. She was a werewolf first. She, I... I'm hold on. She she <laughs> has paparazzi that were probably following yes! everywhere. 
Because yes! she doesn't change until she's getting her Oscar at the cameras are flashing. I'm like, this is she's a big ass star, and this is the first time she's had the strobe cameras flashing well, her in the right. face. This I mean, look at it. Nose. Look at it. She was out during the daytime and during the day as as a former photosensitive ec- epileptic. You know, during the daytime, your strobes aren't as evident as they are during the evening when the award ceremonies are going on. Yeah, all of the photos, they showed nothing but photos in her sizzle reel. Exactly! <laughs> this was in my notes! <laughs> I'm trying the- to give them credit, okay? They I don't tried to enjoy this movie, know, so but look at this! Look at this! This is a gift! Ninety Half a bottle of 90 proof... <laughs> <laughs> watching this movie multiple times and I'm trying to give them the best I can and I can't I can't Howling Rain of Marsupials has melted Angelique down she has melted down into Angelique nothing is like, is like the, uh, the, the werewolf girls that were just getting hammered watching her turn into a werewolf at the award show <laughs> remember the award show was the Academy of Laser Arts and Science <laughs> Dame Edna is an institution. She was on Mr. Bean. God damn it. You know, Barry, to be fair, Barry Humphreys was in shock treatment, which I'll always appreciate. But well, that, that is a totally different realm than Howling Three. Well, really I liked shock treatment. Oh, oh, there were laser discs at the time, so laser arts. There you well, go. Let's not, yeah, let's sure. Just, I just, I don't know that that whole scene. I'm just waiting for it to start, you know, singing and going. <laughs> you know, that's the impression I got from that whole scene is I'm like, it's Peter Boyle. Wow. Well, I mean, I'm sorry, the ballerina was amazing. <sighs> yes. She was amazing until the bunny ears got put on. Okay. Yes. I'm glad we're moving. We're going back to some of the characters. The Russian wolf, who's the the ballerina, who's the bootleg Francis McDermott. She was a pawn in the she whole. She had scheme. a hard time. She was great at looking very inhuman, which brings us to sure sign you're a werewolf. You will feel the need to growl and bare your teeth when you're thinking deeply. I'm the dead. Time, she was thinking about something. She <laughs> You're a fucking werewolf when you start doing that shit. 100%. She had six nipples. And then how about let's talk about the, sh- the scene where she's in. And we'll we'll start to wrap this up soon. The scene in the hospital, which was an emulation, a shitty version of The Exorcist 2, where uh, <laughs> they're yes. talking. To oh, her. my God. You're right. <laughs> and and uh, the lead, uh, the other lead, the the professor who we haven't talked about yet, who had this amazing mustache, fights just fights his urge to kiss her mm. so hard. He this is knew a she wasn't his. Oh, this is a romance made in in Hollywood. Oh, actually, Australia. Australia. Thank you. Australia. Romance made up. in Sydney. In flow. 
In flow, <laughs> in flow, flow is wolves spelled backwards. <laughs> where there is no poof does. Let's get to the end of this film where you were alluding to. There's, there's this emulated <laughs> scene where it's like a tie back to the end of part one, but it's like 25 years in the future where supposedly everyone wears orange. <laughs> I don't, I don't quite understand what that meant. But the film just it turns on a dime 15 million times. It makes no sense. Um, but I was highly entertained. Andrew, as as the silly film went went along, did you was this one of those films you just turn yourself off and just enjoy the ride? I mean, I don't I don't think there's anything really to turn off. I mean, I'm like I like trauma, you know. I like a lot of really outrageous type of stuff. But I I I just I just appreciate when something leaves an impression, you know. And it's listening here to y'all go. You've been the loudest and the the most outraged and all that. This has been the movie of the three that we've talked about that's elicited the biggest and uh, most enthusiastic response from you guys. Yes, and I think that says everything about the movie. It's why I liked it the most. It got the most enthusiastic response out of me too. It's just I'm looking for something that's pretty wild and pretty out there <coughs> you know my dad was like that he liked like david lynch stuff that's why i like john waters stuff you know it's just to me very very memorable and very cool i have a feeling this is the high point of howling series for me that's just a, but i also don't know if i'm gonna be able to hang with everybody because i really when i watch movies man i don't think i use the same part of my brain as everybody else here <laughs> i'm not i don't give a fuck about what makes sense or why someone did something i'm just want the movie to do something to me you know what i mean like yes. i want to i want to i want to remember it i want it to make me because i was watching contracted part two last night there there's somebody there's a part where, where um there's a couple parts that are just like one thing is really original that happens i'm like shit how come nobody ever did that in a movie before i'm if i don't remember anything else from the movie i'm gonna remember that howling three's got a lot of stuff that it, oh, yeah. uh, that stuck with me man and i just i don't know i think that's worth doing i, I think that's worth i'm so, i'm sorry i said the wrong thing i think that's worth um commending i really think yes. they achieved something with this movie yeah, I think I agree. And let's go ahead and let's just wrap it up and give our thumbs up and thumbs down on this, folks. So I'll go straight to you, Andrew, seeing how you just said your piece. You're giving this a thumbs up? Yeah, two thumbs up. Homie's my favorite. I like yeah. it a lot, man. It's a crazy-ass movie, man. Pat on the back, Howling 3. Yeah, I, I knew the moment I, I was watching this and you wanted in, I knew you were going to love this one. It's going to be worth me watching all this other sh- I'm not gonna say it shit. I'm not really looking forward to. It. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put my my good, positive thinker hat on. You know, I'm gonna put my pooty tang hat on. <laughs> good. I, yeah, yeah. I have a feeling I'm gonna be the Scott of this franchise year. It's that I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the guy that's holding strong, that's gonna be loving these movies, and while everyone else just deflates. I'm not, man. I'm not trying to make up my mind. I'm just saying I have a feeling there's not a Howling Three with the in amongst the rest of them. I just oh, got a feeling. I don't want to. I I'm not going to say mm. anything, but I'm just going to give you a hint. Mm-mm. Um. So. <laughs> <Shit. laughs> so, uh, Glenn, thumbs up or thumbs down, bud? All right. Despite all I said about all the weird shit in this movie. I love this movie. I love pretty much everything that comes out of Australia when it comes to movies. Um, I mean, I could, I could probably watch a movie that was nothing but two Australians taking a shit for an hour and a half. <laughs> you seen that documentary, Glenn? Not quite Hollywood. You seen? Oh that? man, that's yeah, absolutely so good. Dude. I yeah. just, I, 
I, I love as bad, quote unquote bad, as this movie is. The fact is, it's supremely entertaining. It really, really is. Um, it, mostly. I mean, I, I think it's a little long, but aside from that, I, I enjoy this movie a lot. I've watched this one probably, I've probably only seen the original Halloween more than I've seen this one. So this is definitely uh, two thumbs way up for this one. Right on, right on. Scott, I have a feeling I know what you're going to say. Go for it. Well, apparently Scott's not going to be the Scott of this franchise. <laughs> because, yeah, okay, I want to say, well, first of all, a couple things in the movie's favor, just so you don't think I'm crapping on the whole movie. Um, no, Imogene Anesli, uh, if that's the correct way to pronounce her name, I hope it is, uh, who so plays Jermoa in the after lead. she got married, I think. <laughs> yeah, very cute. Is uh, she's really good? She's really good in the movie, and uh, I was also happy to see uh, character actor uh, Frank Thring, who you might have uh, recognized from Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Yes, as the uh, director in the movie, I liked. I always liked yes. seeing him. He's awesome. But okay, here's the thing: is like no matter how many bizarre, wonder, weird things that are in this. I guess I just have a thing with the direction of Philippe Mora. Uh, you know, there's some, a few films I like. For instance, I think Communion is a fantastic movie. I wish more people watched that movie. Communion's incredible. Okay. Uh, but the Beast uh, Within is also a film that I've always enjoyed. Beast yeah, Within is a decent movie. It's like, I, I, I don't go as crazy about that as a lot of people do, but I do like that movie too, Beast Within. But I mean, but this, I don't know, something about the way he does it, it's too long, it's too kind of mysterious how he tries to cloak everything and just instead of just going for it. So I just, I no, I hate this movie. I thought it was dull. Uh, even you had all so many crazy things happening in this movie, and still I was just waiting for the thing to be over. Thumbs down on this movie. I'm sorry. Oh man, Seth. Uh, well, the the, the first Howling is a legitimately good movie, and the second one I enjoy because it dabbles in the uh, Euro excess uh, kind of schlockiness. This one just took that, uh, like I said, Troll Two Avenue and went with it, and I loved it. Just complete. <sighs> nonsense that gets two thumbs up from me i just had so much fun watching it that you know the bad turned to good awesome mark when i first watched it i really hated it uh after watching it here many years later um i didn't hate it i thought it went long i could have uh, done without the uh without the multiple endings I hate to give it a complete thumbs down because I think it deserves being watched at least once for at least it's just craziness and obscurity and it's randomness. And as Andrew put it, I do look for something original. This would work almost like a TV series. Had they made it like a mini series almost because there's a lot of great ideas in here and interesting things he wants to explore. He crammed them all into one film. And I guess for me, that was just a little bit much. Uh, so I'd say watch it once. Uh, so, but then after that, I, I only rewatched it for the show. Otherwise, after I watch, you know, and Emogene is, Emogene's the best part of the film. Uh, so I guess kind of thumbs down in that you should see it probably once, but uh, I don't think it's a repeat viewing, at least not for me. 
Oh boy! Oh boy! All right. I'm and I'm gonna... usually and I'm usually soft on films too. It's just I couldn't. I don't know what it was with this. Maybe it was the. It's just a little too random for me. It is. It and is. And I totally all... can get that. I can totally get that stance. You know, maybe that's it. I'm not sure, but uh, it, I and that could be it. It's just that it was too too much. I, I'm I'm open to obscure stuff and Lynch stuff and all of that, but for me, this one it just didn't quite get there for me and i think i know where this is gonna go but i'll let her have her piece angelique thumbs up or thumbs down thumbs up because i mean honestly to me a movie can be anything it being great oscar caliber or bad even intentionally bad it can be anything but boring this movie was not boring because it constantly keeps you wondering what the F is going on. And, I mean, just the blending of the the specious aspect and the, you know, Hollywood aspect with the wonderful director, John, and then the government getting involved. It was not boring in the least. Confusing? Absolutely. Hard to follow? Sure. Craziness on the werewolf mythos. What's a marsupial? Let's talk about it because I had the National Geographic cards when I was a kid in kindergarten, and certainly none of them involved, you know, crazy ladies giving birth and then, you know, crawling into a pouch via her cesarean scar. Absolutely not, but it wasn't boring. I had a good time watching it, and and it just leaves me just kind of scratching my head wondering what's next. So, I mean, thumbs up. Not necessarily two, but definitely, you know what? It's worth a watch. Cool, cool. And big shocker here, folks. 1,000% two thumbs up. One big marsupial penis up. I love this movie, just like Andrew. For all the reasons Andrew likes this movie, I love this movie. I may have been dogging on it. It may have sounded like I was making fun of it. But I'm with Seth. I'm with Andrew. This movie is different. It's silly. It's jam-packed with tons of ideas that are that are not only explored but made fun of. It's, yep. it's a satire through and through. It's, it's editing is so tight it never breathes. It's constantly moving forward and, and, and sideswiping you and slapping you across the face. With it's not ring. boring. It is not boring whatsoever in any way, shape, or form. Is it traditionally what people would consider a good film? Is it entertaining? Then yes, it's a good film. And this film is so entertaining to me. It is just like the epitome of Gonzo cinema. Next episode of Astro Radio Z, we'll be talking about Gonzo sequels, which are sequels to films that go completely off the rails. This, if we weren't doing this episode, Howling 3 would have been included in that episode. Absolutely. It it would have had to be. It is seriously the epitome of of a movie going off the rails and not giving a flying fuck. I mean, at one point, and, and Glenn said, talked about it in his synopsis, there's one point where a dude in close quarters decides shooting a bazooka at something a foot away from him is a good idea. That's like Invasion <sighs> USA, man. Chuck Norris did that shit. Hey, exactly. Chuck Norris. Exactly. exactly. So thumbs up for me. So here we are, folks. 
The first episode of The Howling is over with. For the most part, it sounds like everybody's kind of digging the ride so far. Scotty's not really liking where this is going. Mom <laughs> is a bitch. You know what? Yeah, Life's Academy series, I'm not surprised. Yeah, you guys are loving this. This is like, oh, sweet revenge. <laughs> is this karma? Coming back to haunt Scott Davis. So we'll find out that uh, we won't be doing another Howling episode until next month. Um, so everybody can catch up and watch the next three films, which are Howling 4, The Original Nightmare, Howling 5, uh, The Rebirth, and Howling 6, The Freaks. So you'll be just stay stay in uh, tune with us at uh, the Astro Radio Z Facebook page or at Astro Radio Z on Twitter. Or if you want to contact me at Astro Radio Z podcast at gmail.com or keep up with us on Astro Radio Z.com, any of these avenues, and you can find out when we'll be talking about the next howling films. But next week or maybe in two weeks, I don't know. It depends. These uh, franchise episodes tend to take me a while to sit and edit. Um, we'll be talking about Gonzo sequels, films so that, that the sequels that went off the rails. So, Let's go down the line, folks. Let's uh, let the fine listeners know where each of us are located, where if anyone's interested, they can find more info about us and follow each of us on the interwebs. Mr. Andrew Shearer, go for it. Hi, my name is Andrew Shearer. I make some movies you might like if you like crazy stuff with, you know, big boobs, monsters, ghosts, what have you, zombies. Um, on Amazon On Demand, I have four movies, uh, Fake Blood, Pajama Nightmare, Mondo Gonzo, and the newest, The Underground Cinema, Cinema with an S. And if you want to watch our werewolf movie, the first movie we ever made, 2001, uh, it's on uh, YouTube. Just look up Gonzorific, G-O-N-Z-O-R-I-F-F-I-C, and look for the movie Pop Goes the Evil, and uh, if you don't want to watch it, basically I'll tell you what happens. A girl obsessed with werewolves gets the time life <laughs> book transformations, and right when she says the spell, her clock, alarm clock goes off and plays a Britney Spears song. She turns into Britney Spears instead of a werewolf, and the movie's called Pop Goes the Evil. It's awesome. I've seen it. It's good. <laughs> Thanks, Blair. We had to change the Britney music so we could put it on YouTube. <laughs> more annoying, so it worked out. <laughs> nice. Well, definitely check out Andrew. Mr. Glenn Bittner, where can the folks find you, your podcast, and all your stuff? Uh, you can find me on YouTube with the Beam Wee Bunker and Naked O Productions. You can find me on Galactic Netcast. It's GNcast.com for my game uh, podcast called The Adventure Party. And you can just follow me on Twitter at Naked Hobo. Awesome. Scott Davis. Uh, you can catch me at Moviocrity.com. It's M O V I. O-C-R-I-T-Y. I think that might be right, but I am a little drunk right now. Um, you can also catch my web series, uh, Moviocrity, on vimeo.com slash channel slash Moviocrity, where I talk about exploitation films and the uh, uh, and rail against the sameness of Hollywood, uh, where I talk about really cool films and stuff. Not necessarily these films, but cool films. So. Steph, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? Uh, you can find me at uh, celluloidterror.com on Blogspot and YouTube for horror and cult film, DVD, and Blu-ray reviews that are unbiased, where I will rip apart just as much as I will praise, and on uh, Twitter and Facebook at Celluloid Terror. Sweet. Mr. Mark the Movie Man. Go for it. 
All you ladies out there, if you want all Mark all the time, go to specialmarkproductions.com where you can get 24-7 of Mark's stuff. Yes, you can get my Final Cut reviews, the Spoiler Room podcast, where you can hear these sweet pipes for 54 episodes plus. Not only that, I do reviews on WeLiveFilm.com, mm-hmm, but you can go to SpecialMarkProductions.com and find all that sweet Markness right there. Or follow me on the Twitter at MovieManiac3D. So last but not least, Angelique. Let the people know where they can find you. So you can find me on Facebook where there's all kinds of funny stuff. And if you want to get to know me in real life, just follow me at Angelique Bone. That is my truly real, real name. So any kind of imposter podcast, you'd know. Um, also look for thelosthighway.com. I do movie reviews under the uh, pseudonym Diane DeKilia as well as a bunch of other cool cats who do a bunch of cool reviews. Um, but seriously, check me out, and uh, I'm fun to talk to as evidenced by this podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. I think, I think uh, how do we even label this? Pootie Tang Mark should uh, <laughs> introduce every single episode <laughs> of Absolute <laughs> That was the craziest. Like, I still... I, I mean, I forget I was even on that show. I, I'm just like, man, what world is this? <laughs> That's almost as good as Batmark. I think Where we're going, we don't need eyes, too. man. Come on. It was crazy. It was so crazy. I couldn't believe it was happening the whole time. I'm just like, this isn't real. I'm telling you, Andrew, what is going to happen if we decide to review Batman movies on this show? I mean, if, oh, if he please. decides to do Batmark the entire time, I, I don't know. Oh, I would be the penguin, man. Oh, Let my God. A, only a weirdo would keep up a fake voice for an entire podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it would only be a, a dude that got kicked in the nuts multiple times. That's the only thing you could be like that. I mean, the kind of guy who would pay me a couple of bucks an hour to kick him oh, in the nuts. Oh, my God. All right, we got Osher out, Angelique. Here. I think that, that whatever you're drinking is starting to take root. So we're, we're thanks for hanging on and listening. As I said, if you're a fan of the show, go ahead, give us a subscribe and a review on iTunes. And also now we're on YouTube. So you can sub- subscribe to the Astro Radio Z channel there and check us out all the backlog of every episode concerning Film Jerks. The Stoogecast and Astro Radio Z are there now and starting to put in some visual aspects to the show. So only yeah, things you can find on the YouTube channel where you'll start to see actual videos played in the middle of the episode. So go check it out. Let me know what you think. Otherwise, hold on, folks. There'll be more werewolf madness in the future on Astro Radio Z. So thanks for listening. All right, my Astro Kangaroo Wolves. Say goodbye. Astro Radio Z, kicking it doggy style. Oh, yeah. Woof. <laughs> 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 <laughs>